This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning. Happy Friday to you. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach. Your life coach, folks. You made it through another week. Well... You know, it's really nothing. You did it. And now you can get ready for the weekend. So much going on. And uh, boy, lucky, lucky, the political race still uh, heating up. Many are getting quite nauseated by this whole election. It's adding a lot of stress, they say. In fact, they say specifically to seniors. Senior citizens are stressing out about uh, this this uh, crazy election season. So, We'll, uh, we'll do what we can today to help out with that. We have a wonderful guest coming on that will be talking to us about um, about the debates and some moments from past debates that uh, were pretty pivotal because we've only got one more debate left. And if I were going to throw money on, down on it, I'm going to bet we won't even have it. No, I... I'm I'm changing my mind. I think they will have it. Do you think so? Because now I think, I think Trump will relish the, uh, well, the spotlight. I, I know, but I'm not to... sure that Hillary is going to want because if she keeps pushing him, he, he, the last thing you want to do is give him this major opportunity in front of you to do a throwdown. And I don't know how she could back out of it without looking like she doesn't want to talk to him. Well, what you say is this is out of control. You are now would, there is so much mudslinging going on. We do to, not want to put the country. Wouldn't you have that. to start that narrative before today? I don't know. That, it's, it's, Wednesday, it's Wednesday, right? Yeah. So he she would have to already have that mechanism moving, I think, to be able to make it sound like it's or, a real excuse other than she doesn't want to talk to him. Or drop it like everybody that's politically savvy, media savvy, drop it about five o'clock today. Oh yeah, yeah. When so you it bury just the kind news. of festers through the weekend. Yeah. And it's just a fact on Monday. And nobody even well, – when did – what happened? How did that? And just let – it just gives all this fodder. I think in mm. the end it might be a really good thing to do for America. I'm going to save America yeah. an hour and a half of just embarrassing, horrible discussion. And besides that, the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving specials on that night. Is it really? They're talking about running it. Their ABC has a set to run after the debate, and it always runs long because they want to have post-debate analysis. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if the uh, the moderator during this last debate talked like this? Oh. Yes, Mrs. What's her, what no, the... I didn't say that. <laughs> that would be perfect. That would be so great. Well, there's a lot. There's a lot we'll discuss. Um, by the way, it's also uh, Be Bald and Free Day. Mm. Born free. And bald. As free as there's something freeing about being bald. I'm Totally. There's something limiting about being balding. Yeah, that's the problem. So if you don't want to be, if you don't want to be losing your hair, it's just frustrating. My- but there's many that will just shave it right off. And every morning they're just shaving their head, and they feel so good. My, my kid has preemptive dis- strike. Preemptive. My kid has discovered the camera on my wife's phone, Uh-oh. and so I'm I'm across the room looking at my phone at some email or something, and then I I see all these pictures show up, and it's just bald spot, bald spot. Come on, he's taking pictures of your bald spot, yeah. Dad. I don't know if you can see this, but I, I wanted can't. I wanted to give you a good shot. I've been told about it's it. leverage. He wants leverage. Yeah, it's blackmail. And here's another one. It's International Top Spinning Day. Mm. 
which uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with bald and free day. I used to have a game when I was a kid. Little tops. You'd take a straw, yeah. put it in the top, and you'd blow into oh, yeah, the top. Oh, yeah, I remember those. It'd spin up, and then they'd run into, into each, each other, other. Yeah. and you'd have little that battles. That was good fun right It was there. fun. You can spin a toupee. That's kind of like a spinning top <laughs> game you could play today. Don't you hate it when you turn your head and your hairpiece stays still and it just covers your face? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. Uh, excellent uh, stuff. We will we'll get into all of this fun stuff. Plus, we'll, we'll update you in some of the latest and greatest. <sighs> Michelle Obama had a, I mean, wow, powerful speech yesterday. We'll get into that and the threat from the White House not to mess with uh, Mrs. Obama. We'll get some of those comments. Anyway, but first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Donald Trump on Thursday accused all women who've come forward in the past 24 hours to allege that he sexually sexually harassed or assaulted them as being pawns of the Clintons. These attacks are orchestrated by the Clintons and their media allies, Trump said at a rally in West Palm Beach, Florida. What they say is false and slanderous in virtually every respect. Trump has denied all of the allegations against him and threatened to sue the New York Times for its reckless and defamatory story about two additional women who say Trump sexually assaulted them. Donald Trump's son, Donald Trump Jr., brushed off his father's comments, which surfaced Friday in a tape from 2005 as locker room talk. Donald Jr. took that argument a step further. I think it makes him a human. I think it makes him a normal person, not a political robot. He hasn't spent his whole life waiting for this moment to run for the presidency. Donald Jr. said, noting that he's had conversations like that with plenty of people where people use language off color. Hillary Clinton submitted answers on Thursday about her use of a private email server in response to the Freedom of Information Act lawsuit filed by the conservative group Judicial Watch. Secretary Clinton states that she does not recall being advised, cautioned, or warned that she does not recall that it was ever suggested to her, and she does not recall participating in any communication, conversation, or meeting in which it was discussed that her use of a ClintonEmail.com email account to conduct official State Department business conflicted with or violated federal record-keeping laws. Lawyers for Clinton wrote under penalty of perjury. And finally, um, on Twitter, um, a Twitter user and first-time babysitter turned to a microblogging site for advice when she discovered the baby was doing something very unusual, sleeping on her head. What? Michaela Long, who is famous on social media for her humorous Vine videos, posted a video to Twitter showing the moment a baby monitor camera captured the baby Long was watching (laughs) sleeping in a headstand position. This is is real. I saw the picture of it. It It's very strange. The baby's mother told BuzzFeed News that her daughter had been practicing this unusual sleeping method lately. She's been quite acrobatic lately. Her mother said it baffles me as well. Uh, she said the girl eventually ends up in a more typical horizontal position while sleeping. Though. Oh, my word. That's going to ruin her head. Yes. Because normally you have like a flat spot on the back if you sleep on your back too long. She's going to have a flat spot on the top of her head. It's just a bizarre picture, though. Like she's literally like her elbows are up and her head is down and she looks like she's doing a little handstand. She sleeps like Jeff. They, they do it to get blood to their head. Oh. That's why I do it. Yeah, it works. Killing it. Hey, um, will you post that, Sadie? I want to. Yes. I, yeah, we I need, will the post peop- that. The people need to see that. Absolutely. That crazy bit of child rearing. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sadie. Sadie. Boy, yesterday, big day. Uh, Donald Trump uh, had a had a speech where he tripled down on 
pretty much every complaint about Clinton, his liar, the lying liars that lie about him. So he claimed on Thursday yeah. that Clinton and the press engaged in a concerted, coordinated effort to find the women and publish their stories in order to distract from the apparent hacked emails from Clinton aides posted on WikiLeaks that Trump said are exposing the massive international corruption of the Clinton machine. For them, it's a war, and for them, nothing at all is out of bounds. Mm-hmm. He made a huge – I mean, he really – he doubled down on everything. Hillary's – her illegal practices, her uh, – the emails, the cover-ups, the fact that the media are her number one supporters and the media are the ones that hand her the questions to all of these um, – to all of the – what do they call those? The debates. The debates yeah. and the town halls. The, and, the New York oh. Post cover – or the cover of the New York Post this morning – Says Trump versus, and it goes his accusers, the media, Republicans, Democrats, the world, and a, kind of a question mark. Right. Really, everyone. He equates his his. How come we hear so much about this scenario? You never heard anything about President Clinton's scenario. Yeah. Um, here's here's one clip uh, from Trump talking about the journalists. But as it winds down its years, and it's becoming more and more problematic. It's gotten more and more vicious, more and more vile. And even the other mainstream media is talking about the single greatest pylon in history and all between now and November 8th. And you have to see the stories they've written. It's one after another after another. And facts mean nothing. Third rate journalism. The great editors of the past from the New York Times and others, ladies and gentlemen, are spinning in their grave. Which is... Oh, yeah, they're spinning. It's top spinning day. That is a grave spinner. (laughs) Um, Which is an interesting comment to make because on Trump's campaign are two media moguls. Mm -hmm. The Breitbart guy and the Fox News guy. Yes. Well, former Fox News guy. Former Fox News guy. But many are believing that what Donald is going to do is scorched earth, claim he and and then claim about how corrupt it is and how the media helps the liberals corrupt the world with Soros's money and all that stuff. Then what he's going to do is blow up the entire election and then go start a network, which will basically compete with Fox. Mm Mm-hmm. For the crazy, there's a scandal and the government's corrupt and certain people never were even born in the United States. There you go. <laughs> so maybe the presidency isn't what Donald's after. At this point. Yeah, now. I mean, it might might have been actually a goal and he kind of sees maybe the numbers aren't working in his favor yeah. and so you go the other direction. Meanwhile, right before that, Michelle Obama comes out with what many are saying. In fact, I think Bill Clinton said it, but I listened to it. It was incredible. It was, I think, honestly, it was the best political speech I've heard in years, probably eight years. Hmm. And yet, and it was all about women and powerful women and, and yet we've got no choices here. Play that clip, what, two? Last week, we saw this candidate actually bragging about sexually assaulting women. And I can't believe that I'm saying that a candidate for president of the United States 
has bragged about sexually assaulting women. And I have to tell you that I, I can't stop thinking about this. It has shaken me to my core in a way that I couldn't have predicted. So while I'd love nothing more to pretend like this isn't happening and to come out here and do my normal campaign speech, it would be dishonest and disingenuous to me to just move on to the next thing like this was all just a bad dream. This is not something we can just sweep under the rug as just another disturbing footnote in a sad election season. Uh, here's, but again, the problem is that when she says that, everybody in the back of their head, every Republican in the back of their head thinks, well, we swept it under the rug years ago. Mm-hmm. Nobody was making a big deal about abuse in the Clinton era. So that's what's in the back of every Republican's head. Yeah. So the, the, that's the every time there's a comment from either side, it's like, well, okay, my side isn't as bad as your side, right? Even though we've kind of done right. similar things here, very similar. Now, uh, yet another sign that the panic over the impending presidential election has reached an all-time high. People are frantically googling right in. Yeah. CNN reports oh, Thursday that fun. per Google Trends data online, searches for how to go about voting for a write-in candidate have jumped more than 2,800% in the last week after Sunday's second presidential debate. Can that show work? Two candidates fighting over an often personal Some war. Some states don't let you do a write-in. No. What makes the surge even more and more interesting is where it's happening. The highest rates of write-in searches are in ba- aren't in battleground states, but in Republican and Democratic strongholds. According to CNN. Right now, the five states Googling right in the most are Vermont, Delaware, New Jersey, Utah, and Indiana. And who do you think they're going to write in? Well, I guess the cool or the interesting point is that it's not anybody that would be normally in those. So the Democrats don't want their Democratic candidate. Thus, they'll write someone in. Republicans in those states don't want their Republican candidate. So I would just write in. In some states... You have to write in a candidate who has actually registered with that state. You can't write in Mickey Mouse. Ah, they'll, just kick, they'll just kick your ballot out. But don't you think Mickey could change this Mickey around? could change some things. I see him on watches all the time. <laughs> He's always keeping good time. Who do you write in? What about people that have uh, previously registered, like Mitt Romney? Mm. I don't know if he's registered the cycle. Hmm. But a lot of the uh, – a lot of, like Lindsey Graham, I, I think he might be on – he might be registered, not on necessarily on the ballot, but registered in some states because he was running. So they might have pre-registered because they were a primary candidate. And Kanye is not registering until 2020. Yeah, that's okay. his yeah plan. I think it's we currently. ought to just save Kanye. Yeah. Let's save him for... We we'll will need, need him. We'll need him we'll in four need years. We'll need something, yeah. <laughs> that is so sad. Okay, let's cleanse the palate a bit here. Um, on the way out to our next guest, we do we need to play something from Jeopardy. A little quote from Alex Trebek, um, who, you know, calls it like he sees it. I think it's very fun. It's called Nerdcore Hip Hop. Nerdcore Hip Hop. Yes. Um, It's uh, people who identify as nerdy, rapping about the things they love, video games, science fiction, having a hard time meeting romantic partners, you know. (laughs) It's really catchy and fun. Losers, in other words. Well, (laughs) I think... (laughs) I sure. Te- I te- no, I'm teasing I you. I tease you. No, you're not a loser. Just your friends are. You're a monster. He called the lady a loser. 
No, that's not funny. But uh, you do need to watch out for nerdcore hip hop. Just a little, just a little warning from the Matt Townsend show. What would you rap about? I'm not saying you're a nerd. No, I'm no, just no. curious yeah. to know what you would rap about. I'd probably rap about uh, my lower back pain. Maybe my excitement to have just a quiet night at home tonight watching a football game. Stuff like that. What football game would that be? There's a BYU football game on tonight. Playing Mississippi State. I'm going to have to say I'm very disappointed that we didn't talk about the Dodgers winning game five. Uh, that's a pretty cool. By the way, I was going to bring that up Monday because that is, you know, Joe Cannon's favorite thing on earth. I forgot really? it's your favorite Bring thing Bring it up earth. again. Okay, but it was the most amazing game and series ever. So the L.A. Dodgers then are what? They are going to the NLCS to play the Cubs. To play the Cubs. So there are four teams left, and they're oh, one of them. Oh, oh, oh. Clayton Kershaw, the, one of the best starting pitchers in the history of baseball, yeah. came in for the last two outs of the game as a reliever. Can they? But can they beat the Cubs? Yes. yes. You gotta believe. Yes, we can. In the immortal words of Barack Obama, "Yes, we can." Okay, you gotta believe, folks. Even if you're in Chicago, keep believing. If you're in LA, keep believing. We'll get there. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about the debates, five key moments of history in the debates. If there's one left, is it even worth having anymore? We will ask our next uh, guest, who's an expert in this whole thing. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. The first presidential debate was between Kennedy and Nixon in 1960, and since then it's proven to be an important factor in voting behavior. Uh, And if you think about it, the last two debates have created a lot of uh, chaos in this election this year, and we've only got one more left. So do they really matter? Do people really move and change their votes based on these debates? Joining us to uh, to kind of walk us through that is uh, Professor Robert Spiel. He is an associate professor of political science at Penn State University. He's the author of the book Changing Patterns of Voting in the Northern United States. And he's uh, he's written a wonderful article, Five Key Debate Moments That Altered the Course of a Presidential Race. We welcome him. Dr. Rob Spill, thank you so much for being with us today. Dr. Spill, are you with us? Are you there, Dr. Spill? Yes. Can, uh, oh, there we go. Yeah. We got you now. Yep. Okay, we great, got great. you. Yeah, great to have you. Yeah, hey, go ahead. No, I, I was going to say you – I mean, first of all, your article in the conversation about the five key moments, Let's get. we'll get into that. Um, but what do you see – what do you see with the last two, and what do you predict with the next debate? Um, do, do you think this last debate on Wednesday will actually turn some of the electorate? Do, do people make decisions based on debates? I think historically some debates have had an impact. My suspicion that even though this year pretty much everything is unpredictable about the campaign and about the third debate, Next week, I, I suspect that this late in the campaign, the debate probably will not change anyone's mind. Because, hmm. yeah, I mean, I, if, if the news coming out on the left and the right doesn't change minds, what would a debate change it? 
Yeah, I'm not sure what n- new people could learn. I mean, there could be some shocking statement made by someone, but <laughs> it seems pe- people are pretty set in their ways at this point. Yeah. What I I really loved the journey we went on in your article um because there there have been these historical moments that uh, the debates really seem to take off. But it, it also, and, and am I correct in this, it seems like with the, with the inclusion of television and television audiences, it changed to a large degree the power of a debate. Or, I mean, back in the day, day debates could go for hours and hours and hours, but fewer people were there. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the most famous obvious debates in history are the uh, those between Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas right. back in 1858. That was for a U.S. Senate race rather than a presidential race. But, yeah, they would debate for hours, and people would show up for entertainment, but only people in person actually saw the debates where now, you know, we have mi- tens of millions of people watching the presidential candidates uh, arguing with each other. And, and there have been some years where that's probably had an impact. Talk to us about, uh, let's just kind of go through some of them, 1960, sure. Kennedy-Nixon, um, I guess one of the one of the first popular televised debates? Yeah, yeah well, actually the very first. That the very the, first. Uh, that was the very first time presidential candidates in a general election had faced off against each other, and, and it was a product of the television age, because uh, Lincoln and Douglas, when they ran for president against each other in 1860, did not actually debate that year. So... In 1960, we had Kennedy, who was kind of young and, and uh, was sort of being portrayed by the Nixon campaign as somewhat inexperienced, uh, against Nixon, who had just served as vice president for eight years. Uh, and it, as is well known, Kennedy appeared on TV to be very calm and confident, mm. seemed to have mastery of the issues, while Nixon famously, uh, <laughs> being new to television, declined to wear makeup, uh, a big mistake on black and white television, uh, where he kind of looked deathly pale, if you were watching it. Yeah, uh, yeah. He didn't wear makeup, and then his eyes were also shifting all over the place uh, during the debate because he wasn't sure which camera to look at. And on issues, you know, Nixon did fine, but people watching at home may have seen Kennedy as uh, the more confident of the candidates. It's um, it, it really is an interesting contrast, kind of a, a sweaty, nervous Nixon to uh, Reagan. Yeah, yeah, and Reagan, you know, was the, Reagan a trained actor? Of course, was great on television, and. Uh, you know, he and his staff had prepared lines before his debates, both in 1980 and 1984. And in 1980, that probably was the turning point. I mean, uh, polls, uh, there was a controversy that year about whether to include John Anderson, who was running as an independent that year for president, and had been doing well in polls, at least in early polls. And there was an early debate in which included just John Anderson and Ronald Reagan, which Jimmy Carter refused to participate in because he thought he was losing votes to Anderson. And then after Anderson began to fade in the polls, there finally was a debate just one week before the election between Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. It was the only debate between those two that year, and therefore got millions of viewers. I think it might have been the highest-rated presidential debate in history. Hmm. Uh, and Jimmy Carter was trying to portray Ronald Reagan as sort of a wild-eyed extremist who would drop nuclear bombs on everyone and eliminate Medicare. <laughs> and uh, Jimmy Carter, at one point in the debate, was talking about how Reagan wanted to eliminate Medicare, and Reagan, in his famous expression, tilted his head and smiled and said, there you go again. Yeah. And audience members laughed, and that kind of dispelled the whole image that Reagan was crazy, uh, and it worked. And, and polls indicated within the week after that debate, he just went way up in the polls, Reagan did, and won the election. But now Reagan, did Reagan, because of his acting background, have an advantage? I mean, does, does an actor, does a Donald Trump, in a way, have an advantage if he's at ease in front of TV? And 
Yeah, I mean, Reagan certainly was used to the cameras. He was used to reading rehearsed lines. I guess the difference with, with Trump, while he's used to television and used to talking to cameras, he, he doesn't seem to want to rehearse. <laughs> no, right. Which, you know, if you're performing in a debate, that's actually a key aspect. And, and Trump has probably had some trouble these first two debates because he doesn't want to rehearse. Uh, whereas the Clinton campaign, although Hillary Clinton may uh, have less of a history of performing on television, she at least has been rehearsing and it has mm. allowed her to you know, deliver some lines or some actions that she probably wanted to. Um, now, Reagan also delivered another famous line in the Mondale race. Right. Because I guess Mondale was playing off on the fact that he's too old, he doesn't, he's losing it, he's, right, right. he's an easy target, his age doesn't help. Yeah, and then this is one, you know, one of the most famous moments in a presidential debate is, is that the, uh, Reagan and Mondale had two debates in 1984. And at the first debate, Reagan sometimes seemed confused and was losing his line of thought. And to some people at home was perhaps showing his age, which at the time was 73. I mean, he was the oldest, he still is the oldest president in American history. Uh, so at the second debate, uh, the Reagan and his staff had prepared a line for when age was raised as an issue. And when a moderator asked a question about age, uh, Ronald Reagan's famous line, I'm hoping I'm quoting this correctly, was uh, he looked at Mondale. And Mondale, we have to remember, had, uh, was 56 years old, had been vice president for eight years, and a U.S. senator for many years uh, before that. And when Reagan was asked about age, he looked at he talked to the moderator and he said, "I will not make age an issue in this campaign. I will not exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience." <laughs> uh, and even Mondale laughed. At yeah, that. what I mean, a great line! He was young, too, you know, too young and inexperienced. And Mondale laughed, and the audience laughed, and everyone forgot about the fact that Reagan might have been showing his age during the first debate, and Reagan coasted to victory in November. Are any of these lines? Um you know, impromptu, are they made up on the moment, or are, are every one of these lines and the ones we hear in today's debates, are they just scripted and planned out? The Reagan lines, I'm fairly confident, well, were scripted. Yeah. Uh, he's just, as a trained actor, he was good at delivering them. There have been, there have been occasional lines, and I'm trying to think back quickly, uh, which may have been unscripted. I mean, you know, Obama, uh, four years ago, uh, in, the, in the second debate against Mitt Romney, uh, if we remember right, uh, during the first debate, Obama, President Obama seemed slightly less energetic, mm-hmm. and slightly not too enthusiastic to be there. And the perception was that Romney won the first debate. And then at the second debate, uh, Romney was going on uh, and make, trying to assert that uh, Obama had refused to call the attack on the Benghazi consulate an act of terror until two weeks after that incident happened. And Obama had been asserting that, no, he had done that right away. And while they were sort of fighting about this, Candy Crowley, the moderator, uh, interjected and said, no, he, you know, she told Romney, he did, he did call it an act of terror the very next day that Obama was right. Right. And Obama spoke out and said, can you say that a little louder, Candy, <laughs> to the moderator, Candy Crowley? And, every, and people laughed and, you know, it, it sort of changed the whole tone of the debate when Romney was, you know, the moderator had joined with Obama to point out Romney was wrong. And that was probably not a rehearsed moment. Uh, Obama's just very quick on his feet. So sometimes that happens, too, although Boy. a lot of the times the moments are rehearsed. Yeah. Well, and you can almost see, like, if, if uh, Hillary Clinton knows she's got to talk about emails, those are going to come up. Right. They've got 20 lines of attack on emails, and she's probably got a bunch of lines she can throw out there. Right. Uh, um, and, and, but I guess that's why preparation is such a big deal. It is. It is. You have to be careful, though, with the rehearsed lines that they don't come across as sounding stale and, and completely phony mm. and rehearsed. I mean, that happened to... Hillary Clinton during the first debate this year, uh, her staff had obviously prepared her to talk about trumped up, trickle down, 
right. the way this describes yep. Trump's economics, and that just fell flat. And people at home were, pro- even supporters of Hillary Clinton, were probably groaning. <laughs> uh, so you, you, you know you, you want to be you need to rehearse to have some idea of what to talk about, but you probably need to avoid the canned lines, especially if they're just thrown out there without you know a, a sort of in the wrong context. It's a hard it's a hard road because you've got to seem relaxed, um, but be in this high pressure situation. Talk about uh, George Bush Senior um, right. and his his Clinton Perot moment. Yeah, uh, that that also was a moment which perhaps changed the outcome of the election. That was the uh, 1992 was the only year of presidential debates when three candidates were on stage: uh, Bill Clinton, uh, George H. W. Bush, and Ross Perot, the independent candidate that year. And George H. W. Bush had had an issue all year at seeming out of touch with voters, at seeming he was kind of above the fray or economically too wealthy to care, and that was sort of reinforced. There was an incident earlier in 1992 when uh, Bush had gone to a supermarket convention, and reporters at the convention, when, when walking around with Bush, had noticed that he seemed to be marveling at the concept of supermarket barcode scanners, uh, that Bush had never seemed to have seen one before, even though the technology had right. been around almost 20 years. So he was kind of portrayed as out of touch. And then also earlier that year, Bill Clinton had gone to a uh, campaign rally, I, I believe in New York, but uh, somewhere where an AIDS activist had been upset about lack of federal government funding for AIDS. And Bill Clinton famously issued the comment at that campaign event. He, you know, he walked over to the man and said, I feel your pain. Right. And so Clinton had this image, and that, of course, became a joke, but it also gave an image that Clinton you know, cared about average Americans. So at the, the second debate that year, which was the first of the, that was the first time we actually had the town hall debate where audience members asked questions. Mm-hmm. And an audience member asked a question where she asked about how the national debt personally impacts uh, George H.W. Bush. Now, the audience member asking the question meant to ask about economic recession, but didn't seem to know the difference between economic recession and national debt. So she kept asking how the national debt personally had an effect on George Bush, and George Bush, uh, understandably, didn't understand the question. Uh, Mm -hmm. And actually said that to the woman. He said, can you repeat that question or explain your question? It doesn't make any sense. And... That came across on television as someone who, you know, just didn't care or understand average voters. And when it was Bill Clinton's turn, he walked over to the woman and said, tell me more about your problems. Mm. And he cared. And then also during that debate was the famous incidents where uh, George H.W. Bush was caught twice on camera looking at his wristwatch during the debate uh, as if to imply he'd rather be somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I would yeah. – I'd take the watch off of my candidate before yeah, they yeah. walked on the stage. Yeah, that's a good idea from now on. I mean, what's so weird about it is, and I guess that's what makes um, Bill Clinton so amazing as a as a politician. Just, but can you train it? Like Bill Clinton sensed the confusion, but then closed the gap with the woman, walked towards her, stood by her, stood near her, and then got into her story. So human, right. yet. Uh, President Bush at the time kept his distance, seemed cold, didn't understand it. Can you teach the human side to these candidates? You can try. I mean, Bill Clinton was obviously a talented politician, and actually we saw that at the second debate where I think Bill Clinton uh, probably had a hand in teaching Hillary Clinton. If if you remember during the debate, there was the famous moment when a questioner sitting closer to uh, Donald Trump's side of the stage asked a question, and Hillary Clinton purposely walked over to that side of the stage which I think is probably something she learned from her husband. It, it also created that, that odd image right after the sort of sexual harassment allegations had come out on Friday 
of Donald Trump looming behind her exactly. kind of scary, which I think was something else the Clinton campaign may have intentionally planned to have that image on television. Uh, so I guess the answer is yes. I mean, I think it probably was taught in Hillary Clinton's case, who is not as natural a politician as her husband. It's um, it's just so subtle, right? It's these little subtleties that you try to to try to showcase in these debates. Right, right, exactly. And it pulls it pulls it. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Rob Spiel, and he's walking us through uh, some of the powerful moments and really opportunities in these debates. When you think about it, there's only one more. And uh, in fact, we'll even ask Dr. Spill if he thinks it's going to go down. I mean, I guess it's probably hard to back out of a debate, but man, a lot of a lot of people are just exhausted with the debates if it's going to go ugly, right? We'll talk about uh, an ugly debate, what impact that's going to have, any predictions he might have about uh, this future and uh, the future debates, plus just more understanding about social media, what's happening, what does he see the future of presidential debates looking like? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we are talking about uh, presidential debates and the impact the debates have on the election and on your willingness to vote and how you cast your vote. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Robert Spiel, Associate Professor of Political Science at Penn State University and author of the book Changing Patterns of Voting in the Northern United States. Um, Dr. Spiel, thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me back. This is um, – do, do you sense this election as far as debates are concerned? Let's just maybe talk only in the debate. Is is it less substance and just more smear than other debates? Uh, it, it's, this is an issue I've actually been talking about with my students. Uh, and I, I teach at the Penn State Barron campus in Erie, Pennsylvania, and uh, some of the students I hope are listening uh, today. But uh, – I, I think most debates have lacked substance as far as policy goes. I mean, they always discuss policy, but a lot of people don't particularly remember or pay attention to what's said about policy. It, it's usually based more on style and certain one-liners and zingers. But as far as smears go as the negativity, I think this debate probably has been the most negative of any of the presidential debates we've had since 1960. Hmm. Did you – I mean, was it, was it in the debate? Yeah, that he says she needs to be in jail. Yeah, I mean, because like, that—I mean—that yeah. seems like now we're going back to Burr, and I mean, now it's really going back there. Yeah, that—that that has never happened in a presidential debate, obviously, where a candidate wished the other candidate ended up in jail or, or prison uh, if one of them is elected president. We've, we've never gone that far, but you know, we've never quite had a candidate like Donald Trump before uh, on a debate stage. So, yes, that does seem to be going back to the days of Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, and, and in fact. Uh, well, yeah, so, yeah. Does does it does it matter if a third candidate's in there? Would, would this have been a different debate if a, if a Gary Johnson had been able to make the the cut, or does it not matter? I, yeah, I think the dynamic of the debate would have mattered. I mean, Gary Johnson would have been an interesting change. Uh, I mean, he would have exposed a lot of voters to views they probably have not heard much about before the a libertarian philosophy. I mean, in 1992, when Ross Perot was on stage, it changed the dynamic somewhat. Mm. Uh, although the, the most memorable moments from that year remain between the Democrat and Republican, between Bush and Clinton. 
Uh, but Gary Johnson, I mean, you know, he would have perhaps joined, and he probably would have been less negative. He seems to be a cheerful type of personality, uh, and he probably would have joined in the attacks on one of the candidates at one time or another. And, and yeah, the dynamics probably would have changed, although it's unpredictable how. Would you would you um, think that there's an advantage for Trump? I mean, would it be better to have in your camp kind of a Roger Ailes uh, media type that just is super savvy media and uh, whoever – I can't remember the Breitbart guy. Or would it be better to have like kind of born-bred wonky <laughs> political hacks that have been doing the political side of this? Because it's it almost seems like um, we're morphing into less about political machinations and maneuvering than we are into um, just you know razzle-dazzle headline – Debates. Well, if if Trump wants to win the election, it's obviously better to have both, uh, and he does have both. I mean, Kellyanne Conway probably right. represents the more wonky traditional yeah. side of politics, and and when she seemed to, when she entered the campaign, she seemed to have some influence over Donald Trump's mm. campaigning at first, and and between mid August to mid September, he rose in the polls to you know basically yeah. create a tie again before the first debates, but. You know, we don't know exactly what's going on within the, within the dynamics of the campaign, but whatever influence she had seems to be dissipating, and he <laughs> seems to be going more toward the Breitbart.com and yeah. uh, Roger Ailes type of campaigning, and it's it's not helping him in polls. You could see when she put her hands on the wheel, it started working. Yeah, and, you know, and she, she's been good at going out and, uh, you know, trying to put put out all the fires that Donald Trump regularly sets. Uh, Saturday Night Live, had a, I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but they had a funny satire of Kellyanne Conway and her, you know, yeah, it was, yeah, you saw. <laughs> it was supposed to be Kellyanne Conway's day off, and and but she spent most of her day off putting out various fires set by Donald Trump, and she was doing that effectively for about the first month. But I'm not sure, uh, I'm, it, you know, what's what's been going on the last week or so. I'm not sure she can keep doing that. Can you can you debate your way out of? There's a quote: uh, "One cannot attempt to talk his way out of something he behaved his way into." Can, can you can you debate your can you talk yourself out of everything that people see in here? You can try and rehearse to do that, and, and I gave the example earlier of, of Ronald Reagan kind of doing that in 1984 when he seemed tired and too old and confused during his first debate, and he prepared that one-liner for the second debate and got everyone basically to immediately forget that he was 73 years old uh, and, and perhaps was confused. Uh, so it's possible to do that, but in this particular case, when you've got women accusing you of uh, sexually uh, assaulting them, I'm, oh. I'm not sure how you can explain your way out of that. Uh, I mean, he's going to just keep repeating his lines, I guess, that it didn't happen, or and, and that his verbal comments were just locker room talk. But I, I mean, as you know, and I, I've heard I, you've been talking about this on your show uh, since the second debate, but. Uh, you know, it, it was just such an unpleasant experience listening to the first oh. half hour of the second debate. I don't know how you move beyond that. Can, can somebody – would it be smart for Hillary now to say, look, if we can't pick up the, the rhetoric, it's just better we don't do the debate? You mean from the Hillary Clinton side? Yeah. Uh, no, no. I mean, Hillary Clinton, <laughs> Hillary Clinton – I mean, if Hillary Clinton backs out of the third debate, then, then that will become the number one news story, and the Trump campaign will use that against her to try mm. to get everyone to forget what's been happening the past two weeks. So I, I, I strongly doubt the Hillary Clinton campaign would back out of it. And the Trump campaign, there was talk before the second debate that he might try to back out of it. Uh, but at this point, when he's down in the polls, I'm sure his advisors are saying, you've got to get out there on stage. So I think mm. it's 
for better or for worse, I it's, think there's a good chance we've got that third debate coming up next week. It's going to happen. Yes. yes. Do, and, and again, it does sway votes. I mean, historically, a, a debate could turn an electorate, but you don't necessarily sense it, could ha- it will happen this time. I, I don't think so. I mean, because as we were just talking, I don't know what Trump could say to get all his past comments behind him. I yeah. mean, you know, there's, there's the sexual assault comments, but there's also comments that many people have received as racist and mm-hmm. making fun of a reporter with disabilities and attacking both uh, prisoners of war and the parents of a, of a fallen soldier. Right. I mean, how do you how do you move beyond all that? Do over. So, do over. Yeah. I, so yeah. I don't know. And, and, you know, and Hillary Clinton, you know, she's been in politics for decades and people's views are her kind of baked in. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what would change at the third debate. What do you think about the job the moderators are doing? It seems like herding cats. You know, you can't you just can't get these people to be quiet. Yeah, and, and it's it's remained controversial about whether they should fact check during the mm-hmm. debate. I mean, I, I already I discussed earlier that incident from 2012 where Ken right. Foley interrupted a fact check, and that was very controversial among Republicans, who said the moderator should just be sitting there and letting the the candidates speak and not interjecting themselves in the debate. Uh, the moderator so far this year, Lester Holt for. Most of the debate kind of kept out of it, but then when it got into racial issues, he began to interject himself to fact-check Trump. And, of course, Mary Martha Raddatz was very assertive at the second debate yeah, uh, and saying, you know, answer the question, uh, which Trump didn't want to do at times. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I, 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 it's, again, something I've discussed with students, and the students, and I guess I lean toward the fact that if someone is saying something that everyone knows is kind of blatantly false, it's better for the moderator to at least try to say something uh, to, to fix that rather than just let that go in the air, particularly when if the opposing candidate, if, you know, if they're running out of time and the opposing candidate has no time to address the issue, someone needs to say something. So it is, it's a difficult job. And, and, and just like the candidates, the moderators are under a lot of pressure there oh. uh, to try to be as fair as possible and have, give everyone equal time. And, you know, it's not, a, not an easy job. So I, I admire them for doing that. Have you heard of any situation in past debates that kind of parallels the Donna Brazil getting the questions early? Did you hear about all that? Yeah, I did, that was, I, I believe, in one of the Republican presidential primaries. Uh, Primary, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Excuse me, one of the Democratic presidential primary mm-hmm. debates between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Uh, yeah, no, I've never heard of that. Uh, That's crazy. And, yeah, and I guess that is going to be, I mean, it's something obviously the, the networks who uh, organize and, and broadcast the debates in future years are going to have to watch out for. Who knows what the questions are mm. and make sure no one gets the questions ahead of time. Uh, we don't know, as far as we know, that does not happen in the past months with the general election debates, but I have not heard of that happening in a previous year. What about the economics of this, where uh, the, the networks are going for ratings, and I guess the hosting network, at least in the primaries, had an advantage. If you could host a, if you could host one of these, you could get some pretty good ratings, and then Donald kept bringing up the fact that I need to be paid to be doing yeah. this. Yeah. So what, what happens when it becomes a ratings issue instead of a public service? Uh, well, yeah, during the primaries, when the when the networks who broadcast uh, debates had commercial interruptions, they made money from it. Mm-hmm. There, there was high ratings, and Donald Trump, being a businessman, said, you know, I deserve a share of the money, uh, the earning from this debate. The general election debates, where there have been no commercial interruptions, I, I, I guess, and I don't know the economics of the networks, I guess have been money losers. Although, obviously, right before and right after the debate, the networks are advertising their news operations and trying to get people to do that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems for the in the at least in the near future that the, it's going to remain a public service in general elections as long as we have candidates willing to debate each other. 
but it does seem like the primary election debates have actually just become part of the uh, you know the entertainment world, mm. uh, where you know you get a, you get a controversial. I mean, without Trump on the stage, those Republican debates would have had far lower ratings. Yeah, uh, really, it was almost in the media's interest, for better or for worse, to have Donald Trump up there at every one of those debates because people were watching, people were fascinated by what he would say, whether they liked him or not. But isn't it? It's almost more like a you know an MMA fight. Yeah, where you're, you just want to see, you just want to see somebody get knocked out. Yeah, I mean, you know, Democrats loved the Republican presidential debates. I mean, you know, if if you're someone who supports civility in politics, it's not funny to have one candidate nickname other candidates as Little right. Bucko and Lion Ted. <laughs> but if you're watching debates for entertainment purposes and you perhaps don't like any of the candidates, that was hilarious. It's uh, so true. Yeah, so I mean, it's you know, the, there is that fine line, and and. As I teach students, we have to remember in the 19th century, I mean, one of the reasons the Lincoln-Douglas debates became so famous is, is debating was a form of entertainment back then. I mean, there was no television, there was no radio yet, uh, and people went to debates as a form of live entertainment. Yeah. And so, so it is full circle. Yeah, we may be returning to that era, uh, again, for better or for worse, but we may be returning to the era where politics is seen as entertainment. And while I don't think that's going to boost turnout this year, because people are not particularly thrilled with either candidate, uh, if politics is seen as entertaining and a part of a life that you know young people want to get involved in, in the long term, that might boost uh, voter turnout, hmm. voter participation. Well, um, Doctor Spill, as we wrap it up, what would you just say? What is there? Is there anything we should be watching for? Anything to be anticipating in this next debate? Uh, anything that you think would make a difference for how we watch the debate? Uh, one of the things interesting to me, I, I don't think they've announced the exact format yet. I know we know the moderator is going to be Chris Wallace, and it's going to be similar to the first debate. But one thing I'm going to be looking at, at least for the way I teach the uh, classes about the debates, are whether they're standing, and this seems odd, but whether they're standing behind a podium or sitting. Yeah. And if you remember the, the vice presidential debate, they had them sitting around a big desk. And the debates where they sit around a big desk have always been more boring and more sedate and less controversial than the ones where they're actually standing. And, they, and you see kind of hand gestures and people moving around, and that's just what people notice at home. And I believe the third debate in 2012, the two candidates were sitting, yeah. and therefore became less memorable uh, as a result. And that's actually one of the small things I'm going to be looking for. Wow. Maybe what we ought to do is have them sit and, like, put a bag over both of their heads. Yeah. So we don't have to watch the eye rolling and the... Or, or mute mute what they're saying, exactly. I guess, something like that, yeah. Exactly. Well, we appreciate you, Dr. Rob Spill. Keep up the great work there. Um, really, truly, uh, man, making debates a little easier for us to tolerate. We'll take a break, my friends, and continue just the, the rest of the show and the discussion, hoping to, to help you see the good in the world. Don't be discouraged just because there's a debate in a few days. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. As you know, we always like to wrap up the week with uh, the wrapping of the news in order to reach our seniors of America. And so joining us again, Edsel and Agatha Dinwoody with their wrapping up the week. Yo, October 2016. Yo. Trump versus Clinton, too. A nasty debate with candidates acting so proud and haughty. My favorite TV soap opera don't even get this naughty. Yo. Mr. Obama says we're going to Mars. The claim is real, not just for show. I wonder if the presidential candidates might want to go. 
Yo! Galaxy Note 7s literally burn holes in pockets. Maybe we should strap them onto 4th of July firework rockets. Word! More creepy clowns popping up. Some folks are scared. Some are disgusted. Haven't seen Ronald McDonald on TV lately. Marketers must have adjusted. Yo! Peace out! This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. I'm there for you, folks. I, I'll reach out my hand and walk you through life. Or, you know, just tell you a funny story. That makes you feel really good inside. We got a great uh, hour for you today. Um, do you use antibacterial soap? Because if you do, you might want to stop doing that. We'll be speaking with um, a scientist, an expert who's been researching it, uh, an expert in biochemistry and molecular biology, and she's going to give you the lowdown on the uh, antibacterial soaps. You know, they have some ingredients that you might want to watch out for. So we'll be getting the uh, the update on that. By the way, today is Be Bald and Free Day. Shiny, bald-headed people, they're free. Oh, I love this song. I didn't know those were the words. You didn't? No. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't remember hearing it as shiny, bald-headed people everywhere. Huh. Huh. It's weird. Well, you learn something every day. Yes, you do. So if you're bald and uh, and know it, and today means you can be free about it. Just get your head out there and, you know, let people see your greatness. Everybody. Greats. Sean Connery. Bruce Willis. Sean Connery mm-hmm. is bald? Did you not know that? Donald Trump? No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. Nope. Donald's got a full head of hair. It's just not in the right place and combed up to where it needs to be <laughs> tamed. Um, it's also International Top Spinning Day. Great song. It's a song. No. This was a life changer. Was it? Don't you, do you remember, like, this was my life growing up. It seems my like... My life was spinning round, round. Every time I watch a music video from the 80s, I tell myself, that is the weirdest music video I've ever seen. Every single oh, yeah. time. Try, try living through the 80s. Oh, you did. We both did. Yeah. We all did. Yeah. Well, I was in elementary school, so... So you really weren't living. It was a very controlled life. But a good one. We've got so much to discuss. Uh, also, we will be doing starting a new review of the scariest movies for mm-hmm. Halloween. Twelve days of scary movies. And our own Jeff Simpson will be previewing his first pick. It's, it's so a, It's a good one. It's Fri- a great is one. Is it Fried Green Tomatoes? Because that's a scary no, movie. No, but have you seen 27 Dresses? I can't remember if no. it's 27 or 2700. No, but that sounds scary. Terrifying. Yeah. 
I still anything can't my wife it. goes, hey, there's this movie I want to see. And I'm like, oh, I don't. It doesn't sound like a superhero movie. Yeah. It doesn't sound like does secret some, agents or anything cool. Does someone get uh, blown up? No, no, no explosions. So that's what scares you whenever your wife says, I want to see this movie. It's yeah. like, it's emotions. It's, yeah. You won't believe the first pick because the first pick you wouldn't naturally think is kind of a Halloween movie. But it's scary. But it's a scary so movie. scary. Yeah. It's one of the scariest movies, I think, of all time. With, I think, one of the best soundtracks. And a good villain. You, you, yeah. you need a good villain. You need a great villain. With a great smile. Yes. We'll get to all of that fun in, in a bit. Plus, we'll talk about the fear of missing out mm. with Leanna Tan. She'll do a little tangent for us. So much to cover. So much to do. But first, my friends, let's get to Sadie Nielsen and the headlines. Sadie, what's up? Senate Republicans have essentially wiped Donald Trump's name from their fundraising emails in the aftermath of a tape being revealed in which Donald Trump discusses groping women. The National Republican Senatorial Committee has used Trump's name in five days leading up to a release of the tape, which came out last Friday. As Republicans now grapple with the possibility of not only losing the presidency as well as the Senate, this is a sign of Trump's toxicity as a candidate. A New Jersey judge on Thursday said there was a probable cause for prosecutors to look into Governor Chris Christie's for official misconduct in office related to his role in the George Washington Bridge lane closure scandal. The judge will now hand the case to the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, where officials will determine if there, if from there if the case will lead to an indictment. Christie's office said it will appeal the ruling immediately. The man accused of last month's bombings in New York and New Jersey that injured dozens of people made his first court appearance on Thursday from a hospital bed, pleading not guilty to attempting to to murder police officers. The hearing, which lasted only a few minutes, concerned state charges against him from stemming from a gunfight with police on September 19th after an officer discovered him sleeping in the doorway of a bar. Ahmed Khan Rahami, a U.S. citizen born in Afghanistan, is also facing federal charges of using weapons of mass destruction and bombing a place of public use in New York and New Jersey. And finally... Yes? Um, the Grim Reaper has yes. taken to the streets of downtown Pittsburgh to teach pedestrians how to use their phones safely while walking. Huh. It's a program that is instituted called the Look Alive Program. <laughs> Uh, by Pittsburgh Downtown <laughs> Partnership in conjunction with Port Authority, County Health Department, and the Bike Pittsburgh. Um, they have Grim Reapers and Goals wandering the downtown area to warn pedestrians of the dangers of using their phones. <laughs> While the Reapers and zombies appear menacing, President of Downtown Partnership Jeremy Waldrop told the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette they will approach pedestrians in a playful manner while offering a get-out-of-death-free to lead them to the program's website. Wow. You tweet... You're going to let be flat in the street, is what I'm saying, one reaper told a certain passerby. I'm not dead. Think I'll go for a walk. I feel happy. So you're not, you tweet, you'll be dead in the street? Yes. That is the one of the slogans, I guess, they're using. Brilliant. I mean, it really is a great way to people to not, you know, if all of a sudden you're walking down the street and the Grim Reaper's standing there. Oh, yeah. He's like, hey, by the way, if you use that, you're going to hit by a car. You, it you, need to, you need to keep your head up. Well, right more, on. they just ought, they ought not say anything and just start pushing you into the street. Yeah. They said a bunch of people have just been running into cars, like, or cars <laughs> running into them because they're, like, veering off into the street. And they're yeah. like, um, watch where you're going. You just bump into the car. Oops, sorry. See, when, that's why you need 
the phones to have a feature that helps you make sure you don't run into things. Just make him the, the self-driving right. technology. The self-walking the phone. The self-walking phone. Makes sense. It's a great idea. It'll tell you when there's oncoming traffic. <laughs> okay, but this is going to be the precursor to Google Glasses. Coming back. Everyone's going to say, see? They're in development. They're still I know. On You're going to need the glasses because then you have a heads-up screen and you can just walk as normal. Wow. Thanks, Sadie. Good news, I guess. Man, so much to cover and uh, so little time to do it in. Did you hear about the mom who wrote an excuse note for her tar- tardy daughter? Hmm. And it's now gone viral. Clarksburg, California. A California teen running late for school must have been thrilled when her mother agreed to write an excuse note until she read it. The note read, Kara is tardy this morning as a result of a condition known as teenageism. Popic wrote, she suffered from an inability to remove herself from her bed and also felt the need to talk back to her birth giver. The letter has been shared on social media. Hundreds of people uh, praised Poppick's parenting, even ca- even calling her the mother of the year. But some thought that she was too harsh. My mother, uh, what is the phrase? She isn't qu- quite herself today. Oh, is that from Psycho? What's that from? Yeah. Psycho. But it's very applicable. Here. But you're not saying this mother... Psycho. Maybe she just wasn't feeling herself. That but you, day. you could see the teenager would say that. No, he's saying she's sitting dead in a back room in a rocking chair. <laughs> hey, don't give it away. Sorry, I spoiled uh, the movie. Popic, who says she's been overwhelmed trying to respond to people, addressed the critics by saying, "Perhaps the message seems harsh and condescending to some." They're probably watching me. Well, let them. Let them see what kind of a person I am. I hope they are watching. Hmm. Bring it on, she that says. That is creepy. That is creepy. This Poppick's voice sounds so <laughs> creepy. Well, Kara and I have, ha- have have our moments of frustration, just like any other parent-team combo do, teen combo. But uh, we really are very close. She understands my sense of humor. And, you know, this will only last a couple of days. <laughs> they, just they stay are, out of the shower. And they are opening up a hotel mm-hmm. or a motel. A motel. Um, soon. It was a creepy house on the hill. You know, so they're funny. best that, friends. That, that just turned, that story was just a beautiful little story about parenting and right. it turned into a, a horror movie. Psycho this one. Scary. Tis the season. Hey, how about this one? Um, here, talk about scary. A 43 foot long deceased whale oh. was spotted Friday off the coast of Maine by people of whale, wa- of a whale watching boat. It was an adult female that weighed about 45 tons. Yeah. What is that? That's a that's like a lot of that's a lot blubber. Of, yeah. After the whale sighting was reported by a boat crew from the Maine Marine uh, Patrol, towed the animal close to shore where a 47-foot Coast Guard boat took about five hours to tow the whale by its tail to Portland Harbor. Lots of people involved in this little production. Then, then the carcass was offloaded Saturday evening onto a tractor trailer truck. Yep. And a local excavation company provided the truck flatbed, and then they hauled, they hauled the dead whale through town. Downtown, whatever it was, it Portland, Maine. Yeah, yeah, it took it right through the middle of downtown. And Think Paul, of the smell. Paul Smith, the truck driver, is like, I've never hauled a whale before. <laughs> Did they drop it off at the local restaurant or something? I've moved a lot of big houses, local yeah, they, fish and chips place. But we've talked about this. 
other communities, San Diego, L.A., have had some problems. They've had these whales that are showing up, and it's like, do you chop it up? Do you but, blow it up? Do you tow it out to the ocean? Well, can't, just- you, can't you tow it out 30 miles and then torpedo it or blow it up? You don't have to I, torpedo it. I don't know. But you just took 90,000 pounds <laughs> of fish carcass through town. It's a mammal. Honestly. <laughs> Come on, people. We will never we will never survive at this rate. <laughs> and they took it to some uh, – pl- it was a fertilizer plant? Is that where yeah. they took it? It went uh, oh. down Plummer Road, if you're familiar with the area, through the waterfront. <laughs> it was quite a spectacle. <laughs> and everyone's trying to take pictures of this huge carcass. <laughs> Luckily, they did it earlier than other towns that because they, they other communities tried to do the same thing and they couldn't get – it fell apart while they're trying to load it. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's decaying. It's dead. Oh, it's oh, happening. So gross. World. That story stinks. <laughs> I bet you it really, really did. Can you imagine that? Uh, last but not least, if you are looking for something to do this weekend, Ooh. there is a man swimming across the sea while juggling. <laughs> yes, many people can walk and chew gum at the same time, but how many can swim and juggle? Meet Shahar Cohen, the 46-year-old Israeli man made history this month when he swam more than two miles across the Sea of Galilee. Hmm. I've been in that sea, by the way. Uh, While juggling, the entire process compounded by the zigzagged route and the dropped balls took more than three hours to complete. But he he did it. And again, why? I guess because you can. Why not? Now, there's a specific name for this activity. Yes. It's called swuggling. Swuggling. Uh, it's swimming and juggling, swuggling. <laughs> Cohen's epic feat is believed to be the longest on the record books. Of course. The longest swim-juggle combo. There's like one guy doing it. He's also apparently playing a banjo. Yeah. And singing. There's a hotel commercial. I forget which hotel, but the guy is uh, a world record holder for being a marathon juggler. Oh, right. He runs yeah. the marathon and juggles. Like, well, you could be that because there's probably like five of you. Yeah. See, these are the guys that in like a Hollywood movie type of situation where there's this big asteroid that's coming to destroy us all, these are the guys that they're going to turn to. Yeah. Well, you can juggle while while running and swimming. Can this, you save yeah. the world? This one is special. <laughs> while juggling? He, he, by the way, is a professional juggler. He owns a juggling company. Of course he does. It's and just... he sells everything from spinning plates to glow-in-the-dark juggling <laughs> pins. And he owns a juggling supply company. Do you think all your juggling needs? Well, I don't want to think this is just for promotion. I think he has bowling pins. You have to have bowling pins. That's that's a key for juggling, right? Do bowling pins float? Uh, They could. Yeah, I bet they do. Maybe he was doing doing this in support of the whales. Ah, that's a great point. (laughs) Great point. Think of the dead whales. See, again, a lot of times we tell you these stories because we want you to know you aren't that bad. No. Life's pretty good. There are people out there that are much, much more interesting <laughs> in a positive way. Um, okay, so here's the deal. If you've ever pulled out one of those antibacterial soaps or if you've ever had uh, – what's that goo called the, uh, that we our old – that Ben used to drink? Gooby gun? The hand sanitizer. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to talk about how he, he just would... tipped back his hand sanitizer bottle. Like, what are you doing? He'd get a brand new, like a gallon he, jug he... of hand sanitizer, and he's the only guy that would pump it into a little cup. 
He said he forgot to brush his teeth, so yeah. he was just trying Maybe to... that was his way of sneaking something in there that shouldn't have been in there. Mm. Well, we're going to tell you there's stuff in there that probably shouldn't be in there. And there's been some new federal guidelines put out, and, and the next and, guest talks about that. And in the end, maybe you just need to do away with it. Save yourself some money. The hand sanitizer, uh, antibacterial stuff may not be doing the job it needs and actually maybe doing something worse. Stick with us. We're going to help you live longer. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Scientists are constantly looking for ways to improve and enhance our lives. And then, you know what? The companies are just so quick to buy it and get it out on the shelf so you can you can use it. In fact, just recently, research regarding antiseptics found that the chemicals uh, have little benefit but a lot of risk for in- individuals. So think about how many times you've seen uh, or thought that, oh, this is an antiseptic. This is, this is going to protect me from all of the dangerous uh, things of this world. If I just put it on my hands, if I use this soap, this antibacterial soap, my life and my children will be so much happier. The reality is, according to uh, our next guest, you, you need to be careful. Uh, and with a new FDA ruling in September, banned the use of 19 antiseptics from household soaps. But uh, what does this mean to you? What does it mean to me? Dr. Sarah Andes joins us. She's an associate professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at Penn State University. Dr. Andes, thank you. So, uh, Adies, sorry, Dr. Adies, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, it's great to be here. This is this is frustrating because I thought all of these antibacterial soaps were were saving my children's lives, and yet in the end, it's just giving putting more chemicals into our bodies. It certainly is. It's putting chemicals in on our bodies, in our bodies, and into the environment. And in this case, it actually turns out that the good old-fashioned plain soap and water is just as good. Really? It, in fact, the new FDA ruling as of September 2nd bans the use of triclosan and triclocarbon. Talk to us. What is triclosan? Triclosan is a chemical that will stop the growth of bacteria. And it is first was actually brought out to be used in healthcare settings, and it's still used in healthcare settings, and that's a great place for it to be. Um, but because it is stable, it is um, can be put into lots of different things. It started being incorpor- incorporated by manufacturers into lots of household products to make things antibacterial. Hmm. Um, now, but bacteria, it's not all bad, right? Exactly. That's one of the really cool things that's come out um, in probably the last like 15 years is the realization that we have lots of good bacteria. If you take the human body, we have more bacterial cells, 10 times more bacterial cells in and on our bodies than human cells that make up our bodies. We're actually kind of walking carriers for (laughs) microbes. That sounds but gross. Really good for us. But but they're good for us. so they're bacteria. They're they're healthy bacteria, and I guess they help ward off other problems. Yeah, they can. They do all kinds of neat things. So they can help you digest your food. There's actually some vitamins that the bacteria make for us. Hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. We're learning. There's was a recent finding from uh, late summer that there's actually a type of bacteria that lives in your nose. 
And that can actually make a chemical that kills bad bacteria that make you sick. And and yet and then we we put together all these chemicals to go start destroying bacteria, even though so much of it is healthy and helpful to us. Exactly. What what's the impact? What does it? What does I guess does that just weaken our immunity? Does it? Does it? Are we more ill because of it? So it's not clear at this point what the impact is on individuals. The big risk of having these antibacterials in all of our household products is that these bacterial, these chemicals, especially triclosan, can cause the bacteria to become resistant. So bacteria are really good at adapting and changing. And if you try to kill them, they're going to find a way to survive. Mm. And one of the ways that they find to survive can actually also prevent them from being killed by antibiotics, which are drugs that we take when we're sick from a bacterial infection. So this is leading, I guess, to some of these superbugs, these these bugs that we can't get rid of. Yes, that's one of the big risks with putting all these antibacterials into the world around us. For any individual, it may not pose a direct risk, but if you use these, if it's in your soap, it's in your shampoo, every day you're using that, it's rinsing off into our wastewater, into the environment. And as these resistance genes start um, emerging in bacteria, they can spread to other bacteria. And then we can really put these miraculous drugs that have made the world such a wonderful place in terms of modern medicine, they could potentially become obsolete. In fact, it, it actually scared me to when I read what you wrote uh, in the conversation about this now shows up in breast milk. It shows up in so many places. Um, the, the, these these chemicals we just kind of keep. I guess they're now we're now cross infecting, and, and it's just in our system now. They are. Man, they're in our system. They're in soils. Um, they can survive in wastewater treatment plants. So they're everywhere around us. Does why was triclosan even needed? If if soap and water, you know, got rid of some of the some of the ugly bacteria or enough of it, why were we were we even playing with these other chemicals? So they started in healthcare settings, and that's kind of a different scenario. When doctors and nurses use these, they're actually not doing it to protect themselves; they're doing it to protect patients. So in hospitals, you have people who are immunocompromised and more susceptible. So we need stronger um, antibacterials there. But in the household, we don't really need them. Hmm. And I'm actually, I'm not an expert from the soap industry, and I couldn't really tell you why they started putting them in. But, but don't you remember did. the commercials that are like, this antibacterial is used in hospitals. And so it's, you're like, oh, well, if it's good enough for an operating room, it's good enough for my bathroom. And all it makes—I mean—it makes good marketing sense. It does indeed. But with the, but now we're over killing it. I mean, it makes sense in an operating unit. It doesn't necessarily make sense just day to day. Right. Exactly. You know, surgeons in hospitals wear scrubs for a particular reason, and it makes sense there. But everyone in the world's not walking around wearing scrubs <laughs> from hospitals, right? <laughs> Thank heavens, huh? And but I guess with the FDA now stepping out, I mean, this seems like a, a pretty bold move against this. Is this an effort to to really reverse the the trend of and, and really I guess the creation of the resistant, you know, bacteria? 
Exactly. So this is a first step that is part of a large worldwide effort to try to reduce antibiotic resistance. The um, UN actually just held a conference on antibiotic resistance. And the more we're using um, antimicrobials that could encourage resistance or using antibiotics inappropriately, we're putting our current arsenal to fight infections at risk. There are estimates that have come out of these that if the antibiotic resistance um, continues to increase at current rates, by 2050 we could have, um, what was the number here, 10 million people a year dying from antibiotic-resistant infections. Oh, my word. Is, is this something um, almost like inoculations, like vaccines, where if if – if 80% of us quit doing it, we would we would pretty much make everyone else healthier. Does that make sense? Like it, it, what, what if we can't get some people to quit buying this stuff, to quit using this stuff? Do, do they not – they keep putting it back into the system though, don't they? They'll, or will I it mean, just I can't... be so diluted that it won't? Right. So, so if consumers reduce demand for it, then that puts the pressure on companies to stop – selling it if no one's buying it. Right. Um, you know, so at every individual is part of a larger, you know, part of society. So individuals can, as part of a group, make a difference. And yeah. hopefully we can reach a point where the few people who are still want these aren't having as big an impact because we're not all doing it. Mm. Um, and I guess the, the FDA making this decision, that's kind of the first big step what what do you see is would be the next step forward so the this current ruling just applies to soaps that you use with water so when you wash your hands when you've got a sink nearby and you can wash your hands really well with water rinse everything away um that's what these products this fda ruling applies to these products okay. currently the next step are all these hand gels and hand sanitizers yeah. that you use when you don't have water Okay, so, so they're taking a look at those now. But I guess really part of it right now is FDA or not, we as people could could lower demand by just stopping it. Exactly. And for those those hand rubs, you can find ones that are alcohol based. Okay, yeah. And alcohol kills bacteria by a different mechanism that doesn't lead to antibiotic resistance. Yeah, so if you feel the need to do that and they do it at hospitals all the time, just go more alcohol based versus uh, antibacterial. Exactly. And that makes sense. You know, say you're out on a hike and you want to stop and have lunch and, you know, your hands have gotten dirty, you can take out an alcohol rub and rinse off your hands. Mm -hmm. And that's great to do. Yeah. Well, that's basic. Come on, Sarah. Yeah. Uh, let's <laughs> take a... exactly rocket science. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's just biochemistry and molecular biology. Um, yes. Let's take a break. We're speaking with, uh, with Dr. Sarah Adiz, and she is teaching us about these uh, really, folks, what we thought was an innovation that may have now gone too far, antibiotic, uh, anti, uh, antiseptic, this chemistry gets in our system, folks, and it's creating havoc. It's a system we live in. You tweak one part of the system, you're going to impact the other part of the system. 
We'll take a break, come back, give you more insight on what else you can do to uh, to live healthier, happier uh, when it comes to bacteria, how to cohabitate, I guess, with some of the bacteria and see it as a positive thing, some of it anyway. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Sarah Ades, and she is an associate professor of biochemistry and molecular biology at Penn State University. She's walking us through an article she wrote in theconversation.com about why you should dispense with antibacterial soaps. The FDA has already made a ruling that you you don't you can't you don't need to be using antibacterial soaps. And uh, and 17 other antiseptics from your household soap. So the benefit of it in the end, I guess, is um, it's, it's going to make us healthier because it allows us to not create and not be a part of creating more antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria. I, have I got that right, Sarah? Exactly. Exactly. And right now we start with the soap, but eventually we could move to every product. Yes, what other products have triclosan in it? So um, they have been incorporated into lots of different kind of products, into baby toys, um, a whole range of things. Yeah, pacifiers, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Why? I guess just antibacterial. But, I mean, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't really speak from the manufacturing point of view of why you would do this. Um, presumably, there's a demand. Right. And and then you were also talking about hand sanitizers, hand gels, ham, hand rubs that have some of the antibacterial uh, chemicals in it. You don't need to go that route anymore either. You could just go to the alcohol, alcohol-based uh, hand sanitizers and it's a safe, it's a, different, it's a different approach and it won't – I guess that doesn't lead to the antibiotic resistance. Exactly. And there have been studies even from rural villages in Pakistan that hand washing with soap and water does as much to prevent the spread of disease as an antibacterial. So really, water is what you need. Wash your hands well. So this isn't just like passing your hands, you know, for two seconds under the water. You know, really wash them like, um, you know, wash the backs, wash in between your fingers. There's some great videos. And this sounds kind of silly. Like, do I need to actually watch a video on how to wash my hands? But the CDC has a great site on how to wash your hands. No, I have brothers-in-laws that are doctors. And when they wash their hands, it's it's an art. Yes. You know what I mean? You're like, wow. That's a lot of work. Um, I guess part of this, though, too, is I mean, so wash your hands with soap and water whenever you. I mean, when you can. Only we probably really only need to use these gels and these sanitizers when it's efficient. But default to just soap and water. Yes, exactly. Is I guess as we um, this this gets into a weird systemic problem. It seems like where a chemical company could make a product. Uh, we could market it incredibly well, but simultaneously, it's systemically creating other issues. Um, right, it's, is there any oversight for for just the general products? I mean, I know. I mean, I guess the FDA 
but or I mean, in other organizations. But how do we make sure that we aren't eventually creating a serious pandemic? Well, so that's the the role of organizations like the FDA is they have rules for new products that come out for consumer goods, and there's different types of rules for different types of products. But that's their job is to um, try to protect us. And in some cases, the science takes a while to figure out what is going to be harmful and what's not. If if there's if there's positive or healthy bacteria just all over us and all in our world and even in our dirt, um, I, I guess having an aversion to dirt and, I mean, this idea of what clean looks like, are we actually making ourselves more sick just by how clean we keep our homes or how clean we – I mean, it's almost like, you know, again, a surgical center clean instead of maybe allowing just healthy bacteria in life. Yeah, so that's actually a really interesting area of current research where people are trying to address this question. You can imagine it's actually pretty complicated. But um, there is evidence that shows that we need contact with bacteria. It helps develop our immune systems. Um, it Having kind of the good bacteria, it can um, help prevent certain diseases. So we do actually run risk by making our worlds too clean, not just because we're trying to kill things and that's leading to antibiotic resistance, but in general for our own health, we need bacteria around us. We've mm. evolved to have that. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't re- realize we had a guest on somewhere that we talked about just in a cup of dirt, there's even serotonin, there's other chemicals in dirt and in other parts of uh, just in other things we touch and interact with throughout the day that are so beneficial. Um, I, I guess, what what advice do you give us as families, as parents, to um, to what level and standard of clean is good enough? So it's, it's a lot of it's a common sense kind of thing. Um, where you can pick up bacteria that are harmful to you are things like, we've all heard these warnings, when you cook, that yeah. raw chicken does carry bacteria that can make you very sick. So if you're cooking with raw meats, wash up quickly after you do that. Wash your hands, wash the cutting boards, wash the knives, and do all that with hot soap and water. So there's a case where you do need to wash right away, and you want to get those bacteria away. Um, After you use the restroom, you need to wash your hands. But in everyday kind of comings and goings, you don't need to be washing your, you know, washing your hands or using a hand sanitizer every 30 seconds. Hmm. The, um, I did have a doctor once tell me that, you know, you got to be careful because I, I was biting my nails. And he's like, you got to be careful because now we have all of these uh, antibiotic-resistant bugs and just eventually little silly habits like that could impact you. Yep. There's things, um, you know, you can always, you might want to be careful about public water fountains. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> I guess that's the thing is, it's it's also, I mean, think about people sharing a river back in the day. I mean, it was, yes. and now we're all worried about a public water fountain. Or, I mean, even our little drink, our cups that we bring to keep refilling up our water. Um, some of those, you can tell, haven't been washed for years. So, I mean, yeah. I guess in the end, it's just it's just common sense, isn't it? It's common sense, yeah. And use use regular soap. Yeah. 
don't use the antibacterial stuff. So anything um, that's basically marked antibacterial, avoid it. Yeah, find another find just, alternative yeah. that's not marked with that. Right. And, and it's probably just fine. It's probably less expensive. Yeah, that's probably true, too. We might save some money. Well, Sarah, we appreciate you. Thank you for your insight on this. Uh, we're, we're going to make an effort. Let no more antibacterial soaps and other things, hand sanitizers. Sarah Ades is her name, and she's a, a great resource. If you want, you can go find her article, Why You Should Dispense with Antibacterial Soaps. It's a great insight from a true blue professor of biochemistry and molecular biology. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, so much to talk about. We'll be talking about the fear of missing out. You don't need to be afraid of antibiotics anymore. Now you also don't need to be afraid of missing out. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever traveled really far for a high school reunion or maybe skipped out on running errands because you didn't want your old friends to get together without you? How about when you got on Facebook and saw your relatives' perfect vacation pictures, did you immediately start booking your own? Do you ever feel motivated to do things because you fear you'll miss out on something if you don't do them? Well, there is a term for this, and today our producer Leanna Tan will teach each of us what it's like to have what's called FOMO. You know what I realized I don't understand very well? Me time. I pack my schedule so full of activities and social events that I never really stop to just be me. Then one day, my friend told me that I have FOMO. What is FOMO, you may ask? Don't worry, I got the definition for you right here, straight from Google. Is anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere. It's the fear of missing out. The fear that if you miss a party or an event, you'll miss out on something great. A 2013 study showed that those who experience higher levels of FOMO also reported lower levels of overall life satisfaction. Man, this is bad. I started realizing all the FOMO around me. Unrealistically perfect pictures on Facebook, sleep-deprived and partied-out classmates, tears of regret wetting my friends' pillows. FOMO is plaguing the world. I had to warn my friends. I had to bring awareness. And I knew just where to start. I immediately ran to the phone and called up my friend, Christopher Takashima. Hello? Hi, Christopher. Okay, I know you're busy. You're going to classes and in-between stuff, but I just had to call you because I'm a little worried about you. So I just, I need you to answer some questions for me, okay? Okay. I know that you have a slight obsession with concerts. Or so I've heard. How many concerts have you been to? 25 or so. What's the thrill of a concert? It's amazing. It's like um, meeting someone that you've talked to online for a long time. And just like the energy of the crowd makes me feel like I'm on a different planet almost. Describe to me the emotions that go on inside your head when those tickets go on sale. So there's just like a rush. I just get super excited and nervous. It's like on a date, but like on steroids. You don't know if it's going to work out, but like the probability of it being cool just gives you a rush. 
So have you ever crowd surfed? Oh, yeah. When you're crowd surfing, are you thinking of like, wow, this ceiling looks great, the lights, the music, or are you like thinking their ring is jabbing my side, they have no, long I, nails? No, I don't really notice. They lifted me up and I crowd surfed all the way to the front. It was just crazy. Like you could see everyone's heads and you're just like at the top. And yeah, it's just unreal. So what's the most that you've paid for a ticket or the most effort you've gone to in order to get to a concert? Radiohead, for sure. I paid around a thousand bucks total. Just to go to that concert, 250 bucks for a mediocre ticket, $400 um, round trip flight to New York, plus like $400 for the hotel I staying in. But it was totally worth it. That concert is what I imagined heaven to be like. So you flew across the country in order to not miss this concert. Yeah, I was afraid that just in case it was their last tour, I would die without seeing them. And I couldn't live with that. Interesting. So how do you feel like if you do miss a concert? So bummed out. So you get nervous or upset if there's one you can't go to? Yeah, definitely. This is all very interesting. I've been taking notes and I don't mean to alarm you, but I just wanted to tell you that I've been researching and I think that you might have a severe case of FOMO. Of what? FOMO. FOMO. Fear of missing out. I think that's right. But it's okay. We're here for you, and there is treatment for it. One down, a million more to go. I won't stop till everyone I care about is aware of the FOMO. You may think you're exempt, but I think we're all a little bit contaminated. And I think it is important to recognize. Because I want it all or nothing. Because besides constantly comparing yourself to others and the burden of envy, anxiety, and insecurity, when you always fear missing out, all you really do is actually miss out. If you're always thinking about what you're not a part of, you'll miss out on what you actually are a part of. I'll admit, it is hard to be in just one place and not want to experience everything the world has to offer. Lamobo. That is, living our moments one by one. Like it? So, today... Enjoy your day, wherever you are and whoever you're with. I took the good times, I'll take the bad times, I'll take you just the way you are. Well, I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. Well done, Leanna. FOMO. Jeff, do you have anything you're afraid of missing out on? I have a very traumatic experience from childhood where I came home to discover that all of my family and uh, cousins had gone to an amusement park. Oh, boy. And because I was at a friend's house and they didn't tell me, I didn't get to go. I'll never forget that ever. Are you okay? I'm I'm working through it (laughs) day by day. FOMO. It probably does start there. You don't want to miss out. I mean, if we take our kids to a restaurant and one of them doesn't get to go, they are like disgusted. It's what? traumatizing. Uh, I'm going to die, Dad. 
FOMO. Okay, I've got one for you. Um, if, if you are one of these people that love excitement and you have the fear of missing out, you've got to look into the great art of recorte, recorte, which is also – it's translated as bull leaping. So you've heard of bull riding and then you've heard of like the bull fighter. There's a new sport, recorte, um, which is where you basically use – you leap – you do sidesteps, you do acrobatic turns, whatever you can to avoid a bull. So the bulls aren't the ones that are leaping? No. Because that would be really interesting. They put you in a ring with a bull that is ticked off. Then your job is to get the bull to charge. And when they charge, your job is to sidestep it and not die. And wow. some of these guys even do a flip over the bull. My goodness. It's super exciting. And, uh, you know, if you if you know, if you don't want to if you want to be cool like these guys probably only works if you've had a Red Bull to drink. Yeah. And if you get gored, you know, there there will be a Red Bull. So we uh, we're going to post that on the Matt Townsend show at Dr. Matt show um, Twitter page. So you can check that out. Uh, Ricorte is the name of it. And you will see these guys literally jump in the bowl. Now, uh, we were telling you earlier that uh, Jeff has put together a really good uh, list of 12 scary Halloween movies. We're going to do one a day, the 12 days of Halloween. And uh, each one is just a new scary movie. Today's the first day. Yes, and I think it kind of ties in. Maybe this is the culprit that uh, was responsible for the whales. Mm. I'm just saying. Let's listen to uh, 12 Days of Halloween Scary Movies. This is Jeff Simpson here with my picks for the 12 Days of Halloween Movies. Does that music sound familiar? If not, then you're lying. That, of course, is from 1975's Jaws. Jaws follows the wacky adventures of a mischievous giant man-eating shark who stops by a New England summer resort town for a bite to eat. Alright, I may have sugarcoated the description a bit, but in actuality, this film is terrifying. As a kid, I only watched this movie during the day because if I watched it at night, it would give me nightmares. Oh, incidentally, nightmare is the perfect word to describe this film's production. However, budget and shark malfunction problems aside, Steven Spielberg's Jaws was a huge hit. The the film, not the Jaws at the entrance of Spielberg's mouth. That would be awkward. And also grammatically incorrect. Anyway, the film also garnered four Academy Award nominations, winning three, and contains one of the best, and also improvised, lines in cinema history. You're going to need a bigger boat. The effectiveness of this horror film doesn't come from jump scares, although there is one jump scare in the movie that is quite effective. Let's just say you probably won't ever want to go scuba diving at night again. Like any good scary movie, the chills come from well-written monologues that are well-acted and require us to use our imagination. Like this one from Robert Shaw's hardened shark hunter, Quint, describing a shark attack he witnessed after the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. When he comes at you, doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white and then 
Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and despite all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in and they rip you to pieces. Of course, highest praise, arguably, should go to John Williams' Oscar-winning score. Now, the film, unfortunately, was followed by three sequels. Brownie points for number two for coming up with one of the most effective ad campaigns. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, the legend continues. Oh, and it was also made into a Nintendo game. So, there you have it. My first pick for the 12 Days of Halloween Movies. Oh, and here's an idea. Why not watch it outside while floating in your pool, eating a hamburger, or some other kind of jump? Go ahead. I dare you. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side, holding your hand through life. Helping you Get through this crazy thing. Were you reaching out for my hand just there? Yeah, nobody grabbed it. We've right? had multiple guests on talking about parenting and how you really shouldn't hold your kids' hand through life. But you open the show saying that's what you do. But here. I'm not. They're not my kids. These yeah. are my. But these are my peeps. I think the effect would my... be the same, and it wouldn't benefit the listener if you did hold their hand. For example, we just held their hand through the knowledge that you don't need antibacterial soaps anymore. But should we stop using them? Yes. Why? Because soap is good enough. Says who? Says who? Yeah. Says the the great researchers so, from Penn State University. There's some bureaucrat somewhere. And the FDA. Some bureaucrat right. made some ruling at the FDA. Yeah, exactly. Which probably should have gone through Congress, but instead went through some office structure. Yeah. And we get some new ruling that changes my life. I'm using the soap. Okay. And when you get that super infection. Mm, super bugs. Just don't come crying to me. Well, I probably will. That's the will, day I won't give you my hand. I'll call you up and go, hey, I'm not coming in. This guy's disgusting. His flesh is sloughing off. Anywho, we've learned a lot. Man, we learned a lot about fear last hour. Fear of missing out. Mm. Fear of microorganisms. Yep. Sharks. Sharks. Mm. Man. Today, this this next hour, a little different. Because this is the final hour of the week that we produce a show, we like to just kind of take it easy on okay. you and on each other. So this hour we will, of course, be doing our uh, – just some news headlines that Terry will be hosting. And really? then – Yeah. Then uh, – because I'm, I'm really just going to – You're just going to check out. Yeah, I'm just going to mail it Matt's in. on cruise control. Here we go. We do have a game. Do you want to stick around at least for that? Yeah, I'll stick around for the game. Okay. Man, don't get me wrong. I love me a good game. Oh, and then remind me. Will somebody remind me to tell the story of the Chinese lanterns? Hey, Matt. At the wedding? Hey, Matt. Where we almost burnt down an entire, you know, country Matt, club? Matt, yeah. I wanted to remind you there's a story about Chinese lanterns. Okay. You have to want to tell that later. Go ahead. Yeah. One just a little rule. See, now I'm off the hook. I don't have no, to remember. When I ask you to remind me, great. you got to remind me later. Done. You don't actually have to remind me when I'm telling you to remind me. It's better that way. 
Well, then won't won't uh, Terry need a? Re- I mean, there are too many reminders that way. Why don't you do this, Terry? Why don't you remind Jeff, and why, then Jeffrey will remind me. Why Why put off what you could do now for later when you could just do it now? You know, didn't let me Kennedy just, say that? Yeah, it's it's a famous quote. I think it's. I think he misinterpreted that. Uh, <laughs> Sadie, will you make sure to remind me that I need to be reminded of the Chinese lanterns? Yeah, she says yes. Okay, awesome. There's a system. We're, we're building a system. As Thought we go I would here. just go to my producer. Yeah. If not, I go to my co-host. If not, I go to my Sadie, and Sadie's the only one that really I well, know will remind me. She's the reliable one. Yeah. Sadie, 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 super reliable. We'll do that. Then we'll get to the movies. Do a little movie review with Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com, talking about the movie Middle School, the worst years. Of my life. Isn't that the truth? Totally. Those are the worst years. Yeah. yeah, that was tough. But I was on stage crew, so I don't want to brag, but I was pretty popular. I was in Charlotte's Web. Really? I was Uncle the Pig who wins at the fair. Beats Wilbur. Spoiler alert. Braggard. Someone's a braggart. And uh, after that fun, we will play a game. We will also do a news flush. Then we'll visit the good brethren from BYU Sports Nation because BYU's got a game tonight against Mississippi State, which is going to be a throwdown. And then we'll probably get around to the story about the Lanterns catching a country club on fire. I I just don't think we're going to have time for it. I mean, you just named like 20 things that we have to do. I know. We always oversell and then underdeliver, so it's fine. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's actually common, the opposite. We, we a common under, thread of the show. Didn't Kennedy say that too? Common no. quote. Yeah, Famous. No. People live by these words. No, They're T-shirts. We, we undersell and oh. we undercommit and overdeliver. That's the oh. you you had it backwards. Sorry. Yeah, I'm kind of new. Here. That's all right. It's that's why they call me the doctor. <laughs> uh, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Florida officials on Thursday announced a new area of Zika transmission in the Miami region and have called on the federal government for funding to help fight the outbreak. Florida Governor Rick Scott said state health officials have confirmed that local transmission of the mosquito-borne Zika virus is occurring in a new small area in Miami County, where state believes two women and three men have been infected by the virus. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton says she does not recall ordering emails related to State Department business to be deleted or permanently erased from her personal server uh, after she left her post in 2013, according to sworn testimony made public Thursday. The testimony obtained by the conservative group Judicial Watch marked the first time Clinton was forced to answer questions under oath about her private email system. In her responses, Clinton used some variation of does not recall at least 21 times. That statement contradicts testimony by FBI Director James Comey this past July. Comey told the House Oversight Committee that thousands of work-related emails were not returned. NASA announced Thursday that the number of galaxies in our observable universe is 10 times higher than previously projected. There aren't 200 billion galaxies in the universe. It's more like 2 trillion. This revelation was possible thanks to the font discovery, the Hubble Space Telescope. Astronomers astronomers have been trying to figure out the number of galaxies for decades. By looking at Hubble and by using mathematical models and inferring how many galaxies are out there, Um, They were able to conclude that more than 90% of the galaxies can't be seen even by our most powerful telescopes because they're too far away. And finally. Yes? 
This is something I haven't heard of before, but this is an impressive statistic. Uh, a Canadian man ran the Chicago Marathon while juggling three balls and completed the race in less than three hours without dropping a single ball. What is the deal with juggling? I don't know. We yeah. had the swimmer juggler yeah. last hour, the swuggler. The swuggler. So he's a swimmer. So he's this, a guy's, this guy, this Michael guy... Capral, he's called uh, the joggler. Joggler? The joggler. So, yeah, swugglers the and jogglers. Um, his main goal was to break his 250 record for a marathon, but instead he decided to juggle the entire time. And 250, he, meaning two hours and 50 minutes yes. or 250 balls juggled through the... I believe it was just okay. two hours and 50 minutes. Okay, okay. I think he got hurt, though. I think he uh, broke his jogular vein. <gasps> oh, you my You can bleed gosh. out if you lose your jogular. I missed that. But he did complete, even though he didn't beat his goal of uh, finishing under three hours, it was like three hours and five minutes, oh. he did juggle the whole time. Boy. In slow motion. Thank yeah, you, Terry, for the slow-mo run. <laughs> Can you imagine how sore his arms were? Mm. Yeah, he had like braces on his arms like as he's juggling, and I'm like, why, why would you no. do that? That seems like cheating. Yeah. 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 So now someone's going to do juggling unassisted. Yeah, unbraced. Unbraced, unassisted, yeah. Wow, Sadie, you dug deep on that one. Yes. Yes, I well did. Well done. He's a joggler. He's a joggler. Now, is, isn't is the joggler in a Batman series? No. Wasn't there a joggler villain? Yeah, and I think it was always so easy for Batman to catch him because he was just standing there. Yeah, running and... Just kind of preoccupied. Yeah. Distracted. Yeah. I would think you could get him with the Batmobile pretty easily. Just run him down. <laughs> <laughs> Joggler, done. You, you can see the, jugg- the guy's juggling him while he's running. He's just sort of meandering down the road because he's having to move around to catch the ball as it maybe goes askew or something. Oh, boy. Yeah, just a thought. I think we need to think of some world record we could break. I was going to try to break the high five one. The fist bump. Yeah, the fist bump, but that doesn't seem as moving anymore. Don't, don't knock it until you've tried it. Until you've conquered that feat... Mm-hmm. You'll never know that emotional high. Wow. That was a good motivational speech right there. I think Kennedy said that too. Kennedy's very, he's very uh, quote worthy. So, uh, young man, what have you got for me? Enlighten me in just the headlines we must know. There's a list of the highest paid celebrities that are dead in okay. 2016. By the way, what a horrible situation. Being highly paid and yet dead. Well, it's the idea that your your legacy lives on. Okay, yeah. And people still are purchasing or sampling or whatever. I'm going to go with John Wayne. Your product. He is not on the list. Oh. Michael Michael Jackson. Jackson. Eight hundred twenty-five million dollars in a year. Yeah. What? Yeah. I know one. Uh, Marilyn Monroe. Uh, not in the top ten. <sighs> Marilyn Manson. Still alive. Oh, no, okay. and still alive. Some would argue. Charles Schultz. The Peanuts. $48 million. Now, granted, there was a movie. And the Schultz recently. family are very smart about how they manage that. Right. I always have a hard time. Arnold Palmer. Oh, the great golfer. $40 million. There's golf courses. His name's on a lot of products. Holy cow. Elvis Presley. Yeah, he's 20, in the building. $27 million. Prince. Prince, I bet that's a lot. Twenty-five million, because he died this year, right? So twenty-five million, huh? 
Well, a lot of that is because he dies and people go, oh, and they go buy his music. Everybody. But 800 and whatever for Michael Jackson still? So it's the sympathy millions? In a way. Yeah. Or they remember like, oh, let's go grab that. Oh, they can't find it. Oh, I have to grab it. That's when they release like the 12 set. The rest of the uh, top 10 are Bob Marley, Dr. Seuss, John Lennon, Albert Einstein, and Betty Page. I love Albert Einstein Einstein, his image is being licensed. Oh, that's smart. So $11 million. His hair, do, that should be licensed. There apparently is a glut of milk on the market. Milk glut. So oh, dairy... Have you ever had milk glut, by the way? Uh. On Wednesday, the Wall Street Journal reported that a milk glut in the U.S. forced dairy farmers to dump out a whopping 43 million gallons of milk between January and August. Oh, sad. To put that into perspective, the Wall Street Journal calculated that's enough milk to fill 66 Olympic swimming pools. While milk has been dumped in years past, this is the most milk wasted in the past 16 years by far. As a result, dairy farmers' earnings have dropped by as much as 35% in the past two years. The reason, they say, is overproduction and the waning popularity of milk. Really? Do you drink milk? No. I don't either. Makes me sick. But, um, I mean, that's a lot of milk. Can they not, like, go process it into powdered milk or something and then turn it over to other countries? You think they would if they could. You can't just flush milk. My mother said, Hmm. don't waste milk. Yes. Finish the milk in your cereal but bowl. should you really cry over spilt milk? That's My mother, what, that... uh, what is the phrase? Sorry, that was the wrong one. That's okay. <laughs> That's better. Crying over spilt milk. Oh, that makes sense. The other one was kind of creepy. <laughs> I was like, ah. Okay. So, there. Okay. Little, little facts, little... little... Hey, hey, here's a factoid for you. Mm. Uh, Bob Dylan wins the Nobel Peace Prize. No, he wins the Nobel Prize for Literature. The yeah, Peace sorry. Prize went to a guy from Colombia, the president of Colombia, who negotiated the deal with the FARC and, group that's falling apart. Right. And by the way, Colombia, the gem of the ocean. Um, Bob Dylan, is he a poet? Didn't you know it? Well, his you know, songs rhyme from time to time. Well, that's, that's interesting, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool news. Yeah. I mean, Barack Obama won the Peace Prize. As he was bombing countries, yeah. (laughs) Many would argue not a very peaceful president. But more, uh, I think more of just the message he shared while he was being elected of hope and change and a rally people. Well, before he had actually done anything. Yeah. But then he continued the Bush military uh, programs as he was coming into office until he figured out what he wanted to do. Well, yeah. And... Anyway. So that was the criticism of the Peace Prize. But well, yeah, yeah. So Bob Dylan. I mean, if you're a Bob Dylan fan, he is a poet. And now a Nobel laureate. Final story. Yes. Ain't nobody got time for this. Pardon? Is a quote from a former Houston 911 operator. Was recorded as saying she allegedly hung up on a security guard calling to report a reckless driver. 43-year-old Krishanda Williams is being charged with interfering with emergency telephone calls, a misdemeanor, for allegedly hanging up on 911 callers when she, quote, did not want to talk to anyone. (laughs) Houston police say Williams has admitted to the crime. She reports to court next week. Williams' bosses at the Houston Emergency Center say that thousands of her calls between October 2015 and March 2016 lasted less than 20 seconds. 
Hmm. In one case, she allegedly hung up on a man attempting to report an armed robbery in progress at a convenience store. By the time the man got through to, to a second 911 operator and police arrived, the store manager had been shot and killed. What? Yeah. Afterwards, the caller said he uh, no longer had any faith in the 911 service. Really? So she, t- they have her on tape saying, "Ain't nobody got time for this." And she, I think up the we phone. have, I think we have the video. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> there you go. Oh my heavens! But it led to a death of That's somebody. That's tragic. So I'm wondering if the misdemeanor will be possibly it, it, advanced to a uh, felony uh, as she was in, you know, because of her actions, somebody died. Come on. Ain't nobody got time for that. Tragic. I don't know. Anyway, uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we will do a review of the movies with Rod Gustafson. The movie to be reviewed, Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life. We'll get Rod's take on that. And, uh, you know, is is it a kid-friendly movie? Stick with us. Interesting stuff. Up next, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's Friday, and you know what that means? It means it's time for Rod Gustafson from ParentPreviews.com. He's a film critic specializing in reviewing movies and media from a parent's perspective. And today, Rod, uh, you got a new movie for us. New release? Yeah, well, kind of a new release. Actually, this one came out last week, Matt, but with the way the things spell, we're going to do it this week because we haven't, it's pretty much all R-rated movies this week. There's one little PG-13 release that we couldn't, it it didn't open where we are. So yeah. Uh, So we're, so this is kind of like Thanksgiving. Oh, I forgot. Well, there was a big slip. I'm a Canadian. It was Thanksgiving last week. I know. Yeah. So this is, this is Canadian Thanksgiving (laughs) leftovers. You get the movie a week late. That's good. What's the, the movie's middle school, the worst years of my life. Yes. By the and way, we all agreed. I, we all agreed. Middle school was the worst years of our life. Yeah, it was. It was for me too. But in my tweet that I put out last week in this movie, I said middle school, the worst movie of my life. Well, maybe <laughs> not quite, but close. Really? I yeah. Well, you know. Okay, Matt. Maybe I am just taking this too seriously. I can't believe this film's got about a sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. But you got to understand, they didn't screen it for critics. So the critics that went to go see it actually had to go see it they lined up and some of them probably even paid real money to go see this movie and uh so we've just got a small sampling of movie critics that went to see this and um you know i guess i take things too seriously but the setup is this is about a young boy who he there his brother has died and that has caused him a lot of trouble. And he's already been through two schools. And so now he's kind of on his third school. And this school is pretty strict. And if he can't do this, he's in big trouble. And his parents broke up over the stress of, his, of the loss of his brother. So he's going to the school. And this school is just full of stereotypical, in fact, the whole movie is full of stereotypical, idiotic adults. Like the principal, played by Andy Daly, is just such a bad guy mm. that it is, it's impossible to even begin to think that this could be a, a realistic scenario. Mm. And, uh, and it just goes from one thing to the next to the next. 
the problem with this is he and another buddy of his start doing all these little hijinks at the school. They cover the walls in post-it notes. They, you know, they do graffiti work that looks absolutely beautiful, of course, because, well, it's art, but, you know, they're still defacing school property and all of this. They put all they put colored dye in the sprinkler system and set it off. And then everybody gets these nice tie dye clothes and everything. Hmm. First of all, I have no idea where he got the money to pull all this stuff off because it must have been like 20,000 post-it notes on the wall that make <laughs> this beautiful mosaic design. But the problem is what this movie really is about is about a young man with a single mom who there's a, a really stupid guy living next door. And in a moment, she decides to marry him. And so he moves in uh, while they're waiting to get married. And this guy is a real bully. He's making this young boy's life even worse. And I look at this and I think, you know, this really is a movie about a, a young man who is trying to figure out how to grieve over the loss of his brother. Mm. He's got a mother who is the IQ of a turtle, <laughs> and he's going to school with a bunch of buffoons for for teachers and, and administrators. And I think, you know, there are some kids that are really in this, this yeah, situation. Yeah, people are living I, this. Yeah, and if I was this, if I was one of them and I went to this movie, this would be nightmare on my street. You know, mm. it really, that's how it would feel. So the comedy just didn't work for me, Matt. And I was, I was really quite disappointed in this movie. I just felt like it had a lot of very negative messages, a lot of ethnic stereotypes, too, that uh. I, I, I really thought, haven't we grown past this, like the Hispanic janitor and the... Mm. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed to go one after the next. And yeah, and, disappointing and, movie. And I guess, I mean, it's sad because the premise could have been something that fostered a lot of hope, that brought a lot of, you know, gave some relief or some insight to kids that really feel like they're going through this world. I absolutely agree. I I think that they could have done this so much better. I think that it, I mean it's a little strange trying to milk a comedy out of uh, out of a serious scenario like this where you know he's got all of these tragedies that have happened in his life that are coming together. But yeah, you know if we could have there's one nice teacher, but the guy is he's he's kind of one of these cool 30 something teachers and and he's he's too cool to even be believable and even he you know he he kind of gives these little hallmark verses to to different kids that you know to kind of make them feel better but there's no real connection between adults and young people mm. and i thought yeah they could have done so much better with this movie and i'm sure they could have still got some comedy out of it and uh but yeah it but just, it's getting it, it's it's getting a good review on rotten tomatoes what are the critics saying that did see it well, the critics that did see it, from what I'm noticing, for the most part, are waxing sentimental over uh, their school, middle school years. Yeah. And they, like us, many of them are feeling like, you know, middle school really wasn't fun. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and this movie shows that middle school isn't fun. Well, yeah. okay, fair enough. Middle school isn't fun. But, you know, it just really, I think... I think what these critics are missing is that if I, there are a lot of kids growing up in tough situations, single parent homes, those types of things, and they hate school. I don't know that this movie is going to make them feel any better about it. In fact, it may make them feel a whole lot worse. Mm. If this wasn't a comedy, I think this poor guy would be, you know, having some very serious yeah. um, thoughts that could even harm himself, you know, uh. but within, yeah, you know, within this type of a makeup, it's just so unrealistic and, 
even a comedy needs to have a sense of realism in order for it to work. Absolutely. What uh, grade did you give it? Well, C minus. And, uh, you know, and the C minus, why isn't it even worse than that? You might ask, (laughs) you know, it is, I mean, it's a PG movie, so it is not like that. Yeah. Just yeah, not we deep. don't have tons of violence. There's very little sexual content in it. There, there's a few crude words and some bad words, more than more than I would have liked to have heard. But still, you know, mm. so that's kind of what saves it from the big D of death. Yeah. Well, Rod, you did it again. Maybe we'll just have to watch football this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Football. Or if you want a movie, it's a lot more serious. But go find Bridge to Terabithia. There mm. was a film, you know, that had a lot of these same elements that really had some positive messages to it. That's great. Well, Rod, you did it again. Appreciate you and your great work there at parentpreviews.com. Well, thank you, Matt. And uh, have a great weekend. Again, go check out parentpreviews.com. As a parent, you can go back through all of the uh, all of the other movies that he's posted. And really, there's, a, there's an, anal- an analysis that's done, but also questions, topics you can talk to your kids about, and an in-depth understanding for what works uh, for families. Wonderful resource, parentpreviews.com. We will take a break, come back, and uh, do a little news flush. Also be playing uh, a a game that uh, Jeff's put together for us. Plus, we'll be talking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation. That's all ahead, but first, we'll take this break. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today, uh, because it's Friday, we like to do a little news flush, get rid of some of the stories we haven't had time to share with you, but uh, so we flush them. And, and not flush them because they're disgusting or gross, just flush them because we got to Some of them can somewhere. be. Some of them can be disgusting and gross. Do you have uh, any you'd like to start with, young man? I do. Some of the world's richest and most powerful people are convinced that we are living in a computer simulation. And now they're trying to do something about it. At least two Silicon Valley tech billionaires are pouring money into efforts to break humans out of the simulation that they believe that we are living in, according to a new report. Really? Philosophers have long been concerned how we can know that our world isn't just a very believable simulation of a real one. The concern about that has become ever more active in recent years as computers and artificial intelligence have become more advanced. Wow. Elon Musk, right? Tesla. Yeah. SpaceX, that guy. Yeah. He's one of the ones they feel are funding a way to break us out of the Matrix, if you've seen those movies or know oh, the concept boy, of really? those movies. They feel that this has led some tech billionaires to speculate that the chances that we are not living in such a simulation is billions to one. Right. Okay. What do you think, Matt? I don't. I mean, I feel like sometimes it does feel like a computer simulation. Okay. It's like Groundhog Day, but you know, then I realize billions to one chances that we're not. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. So Just lead off with that. Let me give you. Uh, Good and let flush me, it too. Let me, let me try to one up you here. Oh, okay. So we could talk about simulation of life, or we could just talk about the 21 baby names voted the worst in 2016. I'll just go through a few of them, and if you've <laughs> named your child any of these, yeah. um, 
you got to be careful. How about Elizabeth? Nope. What did you you had a baby? That was her middle name. And Elizabeth. you didn't name her Elizabeth? No, Elizabeth is her middle name. Elizabeth. 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 Beth. Buth. How about Meldor? Nope. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Meldor. Um, how about Olivia? Hmm. How would you spell Olivia? O L I V A, maybe? Not even close. A L I V I Y A H. That um, idea is just Olivia. the worst. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of a far reach. So her entire life, no, it's with an A. Yeah. Um, how would you spell Maverick? M A V R. Not even close. M H A V R Y C H. So like Muh. Maverick. Maverick. I mean, are you going to just torture your children or yeah. what? They need to be What's unique. Your name? My name's Maverick. Or you can call me Mahavarich. Mahavarich. <laughs> what? Is there a Mahavarich here? Uh, how about um, if you live in Hollywood, you could name your baby Beverly. B-E-B-E-R-L-Y. Beverly. That sounds like an inebri- inebriated person yeah. trying to say Beverly. What do you want to name the baby? Beverly. I live in Beverly Hills. How about this? Danger. Somebody named their baby Danger. All right. It's a unisex name. <laughs> of course. It's it doesn't discriminate. How about <laughs> how about little sweet meat? Mm, no, no, no. Isn't that a rapper? Could be. Mm. And when he grows up, it'll just be sweet meat. He gets rid of the little. Yeah, big sweet meat. <laughs> so speaking of baby names, yeah, I named my uh, baby daughter Morgan. Yeah. Multiple times in the last couple weeks, she's, what, 13 days, 14 days old now, uh, people have gone, oh, Morgan, my brother's name is, oh, I'm sorry. They always turn it male. Well, they turn it male, and then they, like, kind of trail off yeah. before they finish their thought. Morgan Fairchild. Am I supposed to take offense at no. that? I think they're, no. they feel as if I'm going to say, well, my daughter has a boy's name. No. You could have named her Danger. I'm like Morgan Fairchild is a name. That, yeah. You know, I mean, these are it's a, it's it's kind of one of those. You know, it's fine, but they're they're always like, oh, my brother's name, and then they trail off as if they don't want to offend. We love Morgan and her name. Should I be offended? No. No. Uh, okay, flush it, and we've got to get to our game. Let's do it. Because okay, this whole thing started with a story that we heard. Um, a woman named Selena uh, Avalos needed some chicken. So she did what any normal person would do. She ordered a box of wings from Domino's. Right. That's what you do. That's what you do. Chicken, go to pizza. And when the wings got there, Selena's order was a bit wrong. And Mm. instead of delivering some tasty chicken, uh, they delivered a box of dough, in air quotes. Mm. The dough was $5,000 from the, I guess, the the cash, the tip money, or the, the store money. Was in this box. Someone was probably going to make a bank run, and the money got mixed up and yeah. ended up in her chicken wings. So she had to decide: Does she, you know, do you keep it? Do you keep it, or do you just? So do you keep what's in the Domino's box, or do you turn it in and hope for something better? Yeah. And so it's we decided that's like, you know, playing like let's make a deal. Do you keep what's in the box? Or do you go for something better? Right. Do you upgrade? Do you upgrade? 
And also get the feeling of being, you know, a good person. A good person as well. Yeah. So, Jeffrey, um, let's play the game. Okay, we're going to play Let's Make a Deal Pizza Box Edition. I love it. Okay, so as you can see here, I've got three large pizza boxes. Okay. You're not allowed to touch them. You're not allowed to pick them up to see how heavy they are. Okay. Pepperoni. So, Matt, we will start with you. I'm going to give you the chance to take this $10 bill from my hand right now. Yes. Or... You can see what is inside pizza box number one. Now, that's a tempting offer because mm. you would think in a pizza box would be at least a pizza. You'd hope, yes. But apparently you could have $5,000 in cash mm-hmm. or I could take the $10. The average pizza costs $14. I will go for what's in the box. It could be a bottle of antibacterial soap. You don't know what's in the exactly. box. Exactly. Are you sure you want to open the box? If you if you don't open the box, I'll give you $15. Oh, wow. He, he upped the ante. Oh. I am going to still go for what's in the box because you obviously want me to not go for that because it's so good. Okay, go ahead and open that box. <laughs> Oh, it's two tickets to the San Francisco Giants NLCS series, which is non-existent because they lost. But by the way, my sister lives there, so I would visit her. So that's a win for me. Thank you. Well, it's tickets to the game that's not going to exist, not to trip. You still have to buy the airfare. So, sorry. All right, Terry, your turn. Okay. You can open up box number two or... I have now upped it to fifty dollars. I've got a fifty dollar bill, or you can go for what's in box number two. See, I always bucks. I always watch the show, mm-hmm. and I, I I have this theory that you should always go for the box unless the money's over one hundred dollars. I think one hundred dollars well, makes Jeff, it maybe negotiable. Could the money go higher? You're not going to take because let's say there is a pizza in there. Fifty dollars could have gotten you Caesar, at least five pizzas. pizzas. I'd get a pizza either way. So you're going for what's in the box. Go for the box. Smart. Always go for the box. All right. Oh. You got a DVD collection of Donald Trump's best locker room chats. Yuck. Ooh. Do you want some Should have taken the money. Soap? Should have taken the money. Always take the, take money. the money. All right, Matt. You get okay, the last, last box. Okay. Box number three. Uh, okay. I'm going to give you... $51 no. in cash. I want the box. You want to go straight for Something's the box. Something's got to be in one of these three Matt. boxes. Statistically, Matt. this box will pay off. Hmm. So far, you've gotten useless tickets and uh-huh. Donald Trump DVDs. Yeah. Let's go for the box. Unless you want to go up to about $100, then I'll probably go for the... Well, I, I don't have that much. So we'll just open it up. And let's see what's in box number three. <laughs> It is a box of Cronuts. Love it. This donut croissant hybrid comes in three delicious flavors, including Bavarian cream, coconut cream, and Nutella. This deal is worth $5,593. Can I trade with Terry? You you want the DVDs? (laughs) Yeah. But then I'm you, on a you, diet. Have to, you have to give him the useless tickets then. Okay. The Trump DVDs, you can put them on eBay. They got to be worth something. <laughs> I doubt it. UFM. I doubt it. Okay, we will take a break, folks. When we come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out about the game tonight. BYU versus Mississippi State. Stick with us. Friends, 
We are going to uh, throw it over to Lavelle Edwards Stadium, where our good buddies Spencer and Jerem are hanging out in preparation for the big game tonight. Hello, gentlemen. Game day. Hello, Matthew. Game day. Uh, is the churro cart up yet? No, but I hope it is soon, and I hope that the cinnamon roasted almonds cart is also mm. up there. Yeah. There comes a point in every pregame show that we do at Lavelle Edwards Stadium where that smell wafts up mm. to the set we are on mm. and just takes over. It's hard not to just <laughs> think about cinnamon roasted almonds uh, in that moment. You know, They're delicious. It would be such a great thing if I weren't dead, deathly allergic to them. More for us, man. Well, that's, Sorry. that's on you, man. Well, actually, it would be on you if I was standing there. <laughs> oh, oh! I see what you did there. Anywho, hey guys, uh, before we get to the game news, I've got to ask you something. Okay, please. Um, please. Now, if I'm if I'm right, Spencer, you have a, a child named Jax. I do. Um, and and Jerem, you, what's another name? What's your child? What are, what's your baby's name, Jerem? My three year old girl's name is Venna. Venna sounds beautiful. Uh, I'm I've been looking at the list of worst. 20 name 21 worst baby names in 2016 mm. and um neither Venna nor Jax are on the list they're not they're not popular names no. i would say uh but this is a name i didn't know if you got if you guys are going to plan on having another child maybe um you could name him colon oh boy oh boy colon him check <laughs> colon <laughs> okay. colon's on there also a b c d e really a b c d e there was there was a football player in like 07 named G Pittman. His first name was the letter G. Really? Mm-hmm. Just G. Oh, yep. G. Yep. Uh there's another uh famous um name in 21, Baby. baby. Right? Yeah, Baby. Hey baby. Hey baby. How do you know his name? Um Merica. America? Mm-hmm. That's great. Isn't that sad? That's actually a really good one. Hey, isn't the lady from, or the girl in the Disney movie Brave, isn't her name Merida? Mer- Ooh, maybe. Merida. Yeah. Merida. Um, I'll the- be shooting for my own hand. <laughs> That's what she don't, says. Don't mind that, Matt. There's, continue. Um, another one is Panthe. Huh? Panthe. It's like, it, they say it's like panty with a lisp. Because that's a fabulous idea. Can you imagine your school teacher calling you Panthe the rest of your life? No. How about how about how about poor, Ray? Poor child. How about Riley? If you were going to name your child Riley, how would you spell it in a way that you would be sure that they would be beaten up at school? Um, that they would be beaten up at school. Yeah. Oh my goodness! How about R Y L E I G H E? So close. How about R E I G H L E I G H? That had to be Utah or Idaho, right? That is, I don't know, but it's it's definitely a death sentence. Like that, those <laughs> parents are in Utah or Idaho. I am willing to put money on that. How about Appaloosa? Would you ever name your kid Appaloosa? Appaloosa. Get over here. Appaloosa? Yep. Sounds like Tuscaloosa. Isn't that crazy? Well, Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow named their child Apple. Apple. Yeah. And, and the second one's Moses, isn't it? Yeah. How about mm-hmm. Gotham? These are all real names, you guys. Gotham's kind of fun. Gotham's fun until, you know, the bad guys roll into town. Scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll end it with this one. Um, this is a very, I think, uh, special name. Unique. 
I have heard of a unique, unique Coleman. Unique she, New York. Hang on a second. I'm trying to remember. I think she played women's basketball in the West Coast Conference. Hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Unique Coleman. He's Googling it. Unique Coleman. Pacific. There you go. Oh, Pacific my Tigers, women's basketball. And then that's a good one. So unique, but you spell it with a Y. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> of course. And then if you if you really want a great name that no one will forget, how about Melanomia? Oh. Really? Naming your child after skin cancer. No, really, though. Why? why Parents. Would... They don't care. They I... hate their children. Seriously. There's definitely. What, what did your child do to you to deserve right. that? That's, there's some passive aggressive stuff going on there. Uh, by the way, another thing just to watch out for, I would love you to go Google it when you guys have time today. Go look up bull leaping. So instead of okay. bullfighting, and, oh. in, and instead of like, <laughs> you actually, your job is to stay in the ring with a bull that wants to gore you, and you have to jump and dodge it, but these people actually leap over it, and they do gymnastics around a raging bull. Holy cow. It's sponsored around by the, Red Bull. The DVD of Raging Bull? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. It's great. For video. a second, I was thinking, like, when you said bull leaping, I was like... Why are people jumping over like cereal bowls? No, yeah. Like, no. Are people stacking yeah. cereal bowl. bowls bowl. and jumping over bowl. them? Bowl. Yeah. Bowl and yeah. 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 Bowl leaping. So check bowl. it out. I think it just I think How many you, bowls can you jump over? I think uh, like seventy one. <laughs> I done jumped over eighty this morning. Um so anyway, look out for that. So talk to me about the game tonight. Well, there's a game? And, oh yeah. Oh today today oh. is one of the biggest setups all season for a BYU football game. Really? It's the second time BYU's played a game against an SEC opponent in Provo ever. Yep. Oh, is that Royal really? oh, uniforms. Wow. Friday night, ESPN, <sighs> two-game win streak. This is big. Mississippi State, baby. Big. The, and, and, and the biggest storyline, I think, tonight, maybe you, maybe you agree with this, Spencer, uh, Jamal Williams is 64 yards away from breaking oh, the BYU cool. all-time rushing record, which is awesome. He's going to do it tonight. He'll do it. Tonight, he'll do it. I'll tell you what, Tariko, I really like that Jamal Williams guy. That Jamal fence. <laughs> the Jamal fence. That's awesome, man. Seriously, he's amazing. Do you think he'll do you think do you think he'll be able to run against that defensive line? Yeah, I mean I know it's an SEC defensive line. They're giving they're up going, more per game than Michigan State did. They're going oh, to stack really? the box. I mean, they're going to have seven or eight guys in there all night. And but he'll so find a way. I think there will be opportunities for BYU and Taysom Hill to get out loose on the edge and throw some some deep passes if they want to early in the game. Mm. Because yeah. everybody knows it's coming, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, do you think he'll get it in the first half? Yes. Totally. Do He's you averaging really? 144 a game. <laughs> his, his first That's half average cool. is, what, 68? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. So, yeah. He needs and he's 64. charged. He, he wants 64. this. 64. Oh, how cool for the I don't fans. really care when it comes. I Just, think it'll come in the second quarter. But yeah. he's going to do it tonight in front of these home, fan, home fans. And Love it. He had a 62-yard run late against Michigan State that made it. The game was in hand already. But that rush made it where he doesn't need like 130 Yeah, something. that was awesome. He just needs 64. So, so And um, he deserves it. Uh, what, what's on the show? What are you guys going to talk about? Just that? Come on. There's so much more. Uh, what, yeah, do because, we have anything else? Hold on, let's check with our producer. Not compelling. Oh, oh we do have more. <laughs> we're our going for two would. picks. Yeah, which are funny. That's right. ESPN's Tom Hart. Who's, who's leading that game? Play. Who's leading the race between you? Two? Spencer's up one okay. right now. Not yeah. that it matters. Oh, it totally matters. Okay. It's, a, it's a fun competition. Because it does matter, okay? Full disclosure: Jerem heard one of my going for two picks that didn't last and threw his Gatorade bottle against the wall this morning. I was so upset <laughs> at how simple I thought it was. Oh, come on. 
Come on. That's how we roll. Well, There's no damage to the wall, though, so we're cool. Good. Don't, like, it's all good. bring it up Nobody, with HR. Yeah. Like, we're cool. In fact, I just had some people knock on the door about that. Okay. Good stuff. Uh, Tom Hart, ESPN play-by-play, will join us on the set. Uh, our two-on-one with Squally Canada, one of the running backs, behind Jamal Williams. And uh, Jennifer Rockwood, the women's soccer head coach. Yes, they play Portland tomorrow. Game day for BYU women's Locked soccer and tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to ask her a question that I've always wanted to but have kind of shied away. But it's I'm, I'm doing it today. Do it. I'm gonna, I have yeah. no idea what you're Unleash referring the to, so I'm very interested as well. Yeah, this will be fun. I've thought about it for a long time, and I'm like, I wonder what the coach would say. So they got to watch Let's the show. Go any direction, too. they got to watch right. the show to know what the question is. Mm-hmm. Or, or listen on yeah. BYU Radio. Or listen. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Because Guys, you work for BYU Radio, man. Exactly, I do. We're on BYU Radio right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, this very second. What? And you guys, will you bring me some almonds? Hey, I got the signed picture, by the way. You're welcome. I got your yeah. autographed picture. It is now in my Hall of Fame. <laughs> It's actually front and center in the Hall of Fame. I hear we because have Ben Bagley to thank one. for that. No, yeah. Ben is amazing. And ben yeah, we, we didn't have time up. to walk it over ourselves, sorry. That's all right. Ben gives me all the great <laughs> surprises, all the great secrets. He's, he, we've got a lot of dirt for next week, so stick with Ooh. us. Okay, guys, have a great show. Knock him dead. Thank you. Let Ben do his work. Good luck. They're awesome. How would it be? How would it be? Okay, how much money, Jeffrey, would you spend on a picnic basket? I would go to DI and pay no more than $5. You go to like the local thrift store, pay no more than a few dollars. Um, no, 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 no. You're not going to be able to have this one. Because Rolls, Ray- Rolls Royce made a picnic basket that cost $46,000. That better have like 46000 slices of pizza or something. No, it doesn't. It has an attractive leather and wood box filled with many of the tools you'll need for a fancy picnic, including place settings for four, two small carafes for liquor, crystal glasses, and tins for the food. Couldn't I just take my family out to eat about 4,700 times? You could, but you wouldn't have the Rolls-Royce picnic basket. Many high-end department stores and fashion brands make picnic baskets but none like this. The price tag, $46,000. Why is it worth it? Well, because it's a Rolls Royce. You Just, should be a spokesperson for them. I'm trying to be. See, now, if this were only... sponsor the show. If this were only for Tesla, if Tesla had this, then oh. you'd really be in business because you could have some kind of a deal with them. Absolutely. And you know what you could do with the expensive picnic basket you could just add another 400 grand to it and you could have a phantom rolls royce with the picnic basket in the trunk or the boot is that what mm. they call it the boot you know this is just another one of those stories that's making me hungry i know that's why we got to wrap this thing up as you know we always like to end with a hero story and today's hero story is a ups driver who rescues a mother and two kids from an upside down car A Memphis UPS driver became a hero after uh, pulling a mother and her two children out of a car that had flipped over after hitting a pole. The UPS driver, who just became a dad himself 14 days ago, was able to pull the baby boys from the wreckage. He said, I saw just the pole snap in half and her car flip, said Caleb uh, Marks. I was driving behind her, four or five cars behind her. Marks immediately pulled over, jumped out of his UPS van. They were crying. The mother told me, she said, my kids and I, I'm worried about my kids, she told Marks. Although there was some smoke coming from the car, potential explosion was hardly a deterrent for Marks. All I was worried about were those kids, he said. I just had a newborn days ago, so I knew those kids meant everything. I just had to pull them out. So there you go. What a stud. Caleb Marks. 
is the hero of the day. A UPS driver in his brown gets in there, pulls some kids out, and a mom out. It's all it takes to be a hero is to just be there when people need you. And you don't always have to have superhero strength or, you know, the, you know, powerful, you know, insights. Sometimes you just got to be present. And so this weekend, let's be present with those we love, take care of the people you care about, and let's pay more attention and see if we can't help those that are struggling in this world. We'll be back again Monday. More uh, ideas to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Look us up on iTunes, on TuneIn, on BYURadio.org, or at the Matt Townsend Show.com. Until Monday, take care of each other. We'll talk then. <laughs>